0: back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is J. Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're returning to the show, I'm absolutely thrilled. And if you're new here, welcome, pull up a chair and get comfortable because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host at J. Claude Deering, on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at thingsaregoinggreatforme. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our Patreon and some cool Things Are Going Great For Me swag, including a quietly dignified Things Are Going Great For Me coffee mug. The holidays are here. Why not treat yourself and a family member to some dignified swag? We've got hoodies, t shirts, and tote bags, so check them out and listen in comfort and style. You can find all our products in our Linktree on our show Instagram page at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our Linktree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from our Season 1, Season 2, and Season 3 guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they adjusted to life in quarantine and how the pandemic is continuing to change life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen. So if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're delighted to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on earth, sourced from the legendary Úlfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be Exceptional, Icelandic glacial natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon and at local retailers near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Hey, Apple podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts cats? Hey, Breaker brethren and sister salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google podcasters. Good day, good pods gang. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. Maybe one day we'll be bought by one of these companies, and we'll have to swear allegiance to a single corporation, but for now, we aren't playing any favorites. Except for you, Spreaker. You have a devil-may-care attitude about phonetics, and let's just say, I'm inveigled. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up and coming actors and comedians, and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. We've reached the end of season three, and today is my birthday. I'm 41 today, and I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> I had a really solid 40th year. I got to bring back my character Curtis Hubley on NCIS for my fourth appearance on the show. I shot multiple spots for a big commercial campaign. I signed with some new agents. I'm feeling pretty lucky. I also managed to get through a birthday celebration and a holiday party without getting stoned or using any kind of nicotine. So that puts me at six months off of marijuana. That would be the same for nicotine except for the one cigarette I had at this wedding in Ireland. So that puts me at two months with no nicotine. Had to reset the clock on that one. Anyway, I'm grateful to get to reset the clock and try again. I think that's the big takeaway for me today. Each day I get to reset the clock and try again with an audition, with my relationships, with my health, with my creativity. And meanwhile, we did our biggest season yet of Things Are Going Great for Me. I interviewed 21 people, including our first Tony Award winner. And I even published a bonus episode on acting technique. Check it out. That puts me at a total of 61 interviews for this series, a series I really care about. Like every year, I'm never sure that I'm gonna do another season, but I continue to meet interesting people through this podcast and I'm incredibly grateful for the inspiration I get from working on this project. There continue to be more and more actory podcasts out there and with the pandemic becoming more of an endemic, people are getting busier again, including me. There are a few other things I'd like to be working on. I've got a couple of script ideas I think I'm ready to write. I'd like to be taking care of my body more now that I'm at an age where I'm getting injured after just doing a workout. (laughs) And I want to be there for my kids more as they start performing in their own shows and playing sports on the weekends. If we do come back, it will almost certainly be in a different format. I might go down to 10 people per season. I might just roll out interviews one at a time if I meet interesting folks and I want to interview them. I'm not sure yet. But I know that I'll be giving it a lot of thought with you, the listeners, in mind trying to determine a good balance for me while bringing you the conversations that are nutritional for your creative spirit. So stay tuned, and as always, thank you so much for listening and being part of the conversation. Today's first guest is Beth Reisgraf. Beth is an actress best known for playing Parker, the thief, for all five seasons of the TNT hit drama, Leverage. For her role, Beth was nominated three times for a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress on Television. Additional credits include Spin City, My Name is Earl, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Intruders, NCIS, Criminal Minds, Killer Woman, The Mentalist, Perceptions, in addition to starring roles in USA's series Complications and the Paramount Network's 68 Whiskey. Last year, Beth joined her Leverage cast for the revival series Leverage Redemption, which currently is in its second season and available to stream on Amazon's Freebie. This has seen Beth helming multiple episodes as a director, as well as bringing in her fourth Saturn Award nomination. Beth is an extraordinary artist, and this is a great conversation. I'll be speaking with her in a few moments. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Darwin Shaw. Darwin worked as a doctor at King's College Hospital in the UK before retraining in classical theater at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. His first professional acting role was in Julius Caesar at the Barbican Theater with a cast that includes three of my all-time favorite actors, Rafe Fiennes, Fiona Shaw, and Simon Russell Beale. He made his debut for the Royal Shakespeare Company in 2011, playing Will Scarlett in the premiere of the critically acclaimed The Heart of Robin Hood. His first feature film role was as Fisher, James Bond's first kill in the opening of 2006's Casino Royale that introduced Daniel Craig as the new 007. Darwin went on to appear in Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, opposite Jake Gyllenhaal, John Carter, and Prometheus, directed by Ridley Scott. Darwin also played the leading role of St. Peter in the television miniseries The Bible, produced by Roma Downey and Mark Burnett. Additional credits include Call of the Midwife, The Borgia, Marco Polo and House of Cards for Netflix, and Marvel's Moon Knight for Disney+. Stick around for Darwin's interview. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. But before we move on to interviews, I'm absolutely chuffed to welcome back my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. Hey! We need to acknowledge on
1: the show that today is Claude's birthday. Let's all sing him a song. That is, we cannot be sued for using that song, because that song only exists here, baby.
0: What, is, what are you talking about? The ha- First of all, thank you very much. What, what the happy no. birthday song is copyrighted? No, but the it, one but- I
1: just sang is only exists in this moment. Because it is close birthday, we are singing about it. See, come on, you can't. Come on. I love no, it. That does not, that's it. That's just for it, you.
0: It's completely erratic with with regard to music. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's, yeah.
1: I'm trying to go like very like, uh, like Philip Glass.
0: Yeah. Kind
1: of. Like, birthday, birthday. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like, really?
0: Some John Cage in there. Very sort of yes. uh, abstract. I loved it. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, I got this new roller chair.
1: Oh, yeah. It's silent. I mean, you
0: can't really see it. Very, yeah, it's, it's very silent, quiet. It's silent. It's so it's quiet. Very, it's very, I feel like I'm in a captain's chair here. I feel very comfortable. <laughs> I like it a lot.
1: Call back to our first guest ever. There you uh, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see? <laughs> always in it right always looking
0: for a reason to loop it back to, to Mr. Pine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So So, Beth. Rise Graph, um our first guest today. She has this audition story from being from getting her show Leverage, which was her big big break. She's now working on the uh, second she just finished the second season of the revival series Leverage Redemption and she talks about this moment when she had the audition and then she's, she's back sitting in her car and she thinks I have to go back up there. <laughs> And ask them if I can do it again, which is a thing you hear every once in a while. Um, it's a thing I have never done myself, um, but you know, the, the one thing it's such a it's such a great story because she goes up, and of course they say like you're you're good, you're good, like yeah. you know we you know, and you then did, she gets you did it, you did it. but they you said did. to her like we saw that you gave a shit, you know, like you really cared about it, and I think. People do respond to that. I think in those moments, it just, you better hope that you're being earnest and, you know, so long as, I mean, I'm thinking if this was me, because I know I would fuck this up horribly. I'd go up and be like, excuse me, and they'd be in the middle of someone's audition. I'd go right in and I'd I'd ruin my chances. I'd have to do this again. They they would be, in my situation, they'd be like, well, we were really going to go with Claude. But after mm-hmm. what he just did, uh, he's not going Never getting it
1: again. I don't. He's, yeah. he's blackballed in the community. <laughs> um. Um there's a there it's also like in my mind there's you know there's an element of the person who like this is their move for like auditions they really want they always go back in and they're like Ugh. <laughs> all right well we have to plan that they're gonna come back in five minutes later and, do, and, and I, do honestly
0: it this business is so hard I think you have to come up with some like some serious Maybe. cons in order to make yeah. the thing happen like you make a little magic moment I think that's a great idea it's like you, you with every casting room you give them an opportunity to have this magical okay. moment yeah. so that later casting I, on a round table can be like when Claude came in like he ha- he came back you know because casting yeah. lo- they Some want like. they want those great stories for when yeah. they do their round tables and stuff about uh, talent that they find so I don't think that's a terrible mm-hmm. idea you just yeah. have to be I real set, damn good
1: yeah I set a small fire in the waiting room of every audition I go on that's how I that's how <laughs> and I then you come so back when and, I'm in
0: and you put it out. Things go off,
1: and I'm like, no, things go off. And I'm like, oh, no. And I jump to action. I run out. I put the fire out. And then I walk back in, and I'm like, all right, can I take another crack at this? And then they're like, yeah. And then, you know, I've <laughs> saved the day. That's what I do.
0: <laughs> you do. yeah. You invent yeah. a. You, you become a hero. Yeah, I
1: invent a catastrophe. I love yes. it. I've only I... burned down three buildings doing
0: this. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think, like, I, what one thing I do know is that, like, I've had auditions where it's, like, I'm sure that they, like, I because I've made some little, we scrutinize any mistake that we might make. So, for example, like, I, the last in-person audition that I had, right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I remember it was for that show NCIS LA, so I knew some of the producers in the room, and I, I knew the casting pretty well, and um, the scenes were, you know, really good for me, the character... But there was a moment in it where I was like, oh shit, I I was having a good time. And I remember thinking like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not going to know the next line. And in my brain, I was just like, look down at the page dummy. Mm -hmm. So I did, I looked down, I grabbed the next line. It sort of broke up the momentum a little bit. And then I finished the scenes and you know, Mm -hmm. but I was furious at myself for that moment. And I remember going to the elevator and just getting off the lot and just being like, I just wanted to get to my car, get the fuck out of there. And I was so mad at myself. Thought felt I'd wasted my time and everybody's time. And, and, you know, on the drive to the next thing I had to do, which was like grocery shopping, I remember then just being like, you know what? Actually, it wasn't that bad. Like they were kind of laughing in the room. And sure enough, when I got to by the time I was bagging groceries, my groceries, uh, I got a, a, an email from my agent that I was pinned for the role. You know, it was between me and so, somebody else. I did not me, get it, but I mean, they, then then they started calling me back know, in a bunch. We know, <laughs> you dick. <laughs> uh, but then they, me, th- but then they did. They had me back on the to recur on NCIS this year. A few years later, yeah, after yeah. some more so auditions, you, I f- I have to believe ask, that one thing led to another.
1: Let me ask you something, because here is how no. And, Obviously, okay, fair enough. If I can't <laughs> ask you, all right, fair enough. What's your question? Um Obviously, we go on very, we've been on very, like, I have an audition for something, and oh, my, I mean, that wasn't like a sketch comedy thing in forever. Uh, but you, and you are like going on like real big auditions. Like, the highest stuff I was ever going wow. for was like commercials. Okay. Uh, I always take it as uh, they're going to make their mind up based on me. And yeah, they might, hey there's not a lot of people who look like me, so I'm like, whatever. But second, I'm like, well, they want the thing I'm gonna do, or they don't want the thing I'm gonna do. So just do the thing. And then when you're talking about getting broken up, what I always think of when people say that, like, oh, it kills the momentum of the scene, I'm like, yeah, but shooting something takes kills the momentum of a scene. So like, if you kill your mm. momentum in the middle of it, but then you like,
0: what, Now wait a, like, a minute. Okay, the
1: momentum drop. Like, like the you mean when they call
0: something. cut because they're doing a wide yeah. shot, then they're gonna go back, they're gonna do a close up. Yeah, you mean or like, like that?
1: Something could break, or so, like a million things could happen. Yeah. On set that are going to mm-hmm. break the momentum of the scene that you're in because it's not theater, right? Well, here's so the thing. So for me, Go the,
0: ahead. Thi- the thing is, the thing is, like when you're in the audition, no, of course, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Like you're not going to, you don't, when you're shooting stuff, you don't get to do it like it's a play on stage yeah. where you're- one thing leads successively to the other in a chronological yeah, order usually. But um, on set, they stop and they'll do a wide shot. then they'll stop, they'll do an over the shoulder, then a close up and those sorts of things. But. The, the difference is in the audition room, the thing that I think is very important for us to be doing for casting and producers and stuff is creating this we're telling the story in there and the thing you want to avoid doing at all costs is breaking the spell. So meaning that like Mm, something like what I did is it happens. It's like a quick little Mm. moment. They clock it, but you're you're moving you're moving along. And sometimes they'll go like it was cool of them that they stayed in it. That it can be a benefit Mm. that even it's just like we were saying before, like that might book you the role. Like if you have like a little mistake, but then you keep it going. That, yeah. that, they could be like, we like their endurance. They they were they took care of us uh, as the yeah. performer and they kept it going.
1: Acting is such a, especially on film, is such a, uh, or at this point on, on memory card, is such a, like, start and stop thing that I think, like, if someone breaks for a second, has to check a line and then goes back and is right back in it, I'm like oh, cool, they're actually, act like, they don't need, the idea that they don't need the momentum leading up to that to get right back to that moment, I see as, like, a real skill set, yeah. personally. yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, that's, because there are directors out there who, like, I need this half of a line, <laughs> and when we're done with that half of the line, we're moving on, and we'll come back to the other, like, that happens, or, like, a fucking light blows, or whatever, and they might be like, I loved where you were, I want you right back there, so if you have that skill set, I think that's super useful.
0: Also, Personally. like, I, I, you know, I have worked as a reader, for, I've worked as a reader before uh, for a big ca- casting office. And what was fascinating to me was watching certain people come in, people that I, like when you're walking, you're watching like famous people come in to mm-hmm. do reads. And I was floored by how unprepared some of these folks were. I remember one person like reading the damn, holding their iPhone next to their face in front of them so that they could read the lines off their phone while they were, while they were doing the, I was stunned.
1: But were they good? Were they good while they were doing it?
0: Mm, some were, some weren't. You know, also, I remember people, famous, I, 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 I've seen people sweat profusely and have to mop their brow in the middle of their can audition. Can
1: you say who the most, who the most famous person you saw come in? It doesn't have to be related to the story, but can you say who they are? Or are you locked into an NDA?
0: No, I don't want to say. No, I absolutely. Uh, don't know. Offline, <laughs>
1: offline. Will you tell me?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you. After, yeah, yes. sure, absolutely. Yes, yeah. and
1: yeah. then you can check out. At Everybody is, is fu- now. Everyone is now furious. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're furious with me because I'm not going to yeah. give it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, follow
1: me. Send me a DM, and I will find a DM you <laughs> and back. And Winston in will
0: tell you. No, I'm not telling you. <laughs> um, all right, folks. Without further ado, here now is a multidisciplinary and talented artist, the wonderful. Beth Risegraff. So today's interview uh, completes this funny circle for my season of my show, which is that I intended to interview my buddy and former co star John Fletcher, who I acted alongside with in a delightful. Blumhouse series called 12 Deadly Days. But John got a job shadowing a, a director and became very busy. So instead, he became my booker for the whole season and sent <laughs> me no less than four guests, all wonderful people. And uh, because that's how amazing a dude he is. And that's how I'm getting to meet you. It's
2: amazing. Yes.
0: Which is John amazing.
2: Fletcher. It is. It's funny. So wait, so he hasn't connected with you yet. You guys are going to, you guys are going to do one of these at some point, right?
0: We're just going to talk privately. Yeah. Is what <laughs>
2: okay. we're gonna do.
0: I don't think he's going to get interviewed at this point.
2: There's I no mean, more I will... room. He, he gave all of his friends a spot. Yeah. That's
0: right. That's um, funny. So, but did you and I, did you and I meet before? Because I'm trying to remember now, were you at any of those Blumhouse screenings?
2: I think that was before my time. I think that was... No, so I wouldn't have met you then.
0: Okay, I was curious mm-hmm. about that. Okay, got it. All right, so then <laughs> then when I reached back out to John again <laughs> to get him on the books, he'd broken a couple of his ribs. Yeah. So... <laughs> really, this has made for an elaborate ruse. I, I've yeah. never known anyone to go out of their way this much to avoid talking to me. Others have certainly come close.
2: But just, can- yeah, that's pretty much John in that show. He'll just ask everybody else how they're doing and barely ever talk about himself. Yes. yes,
0: Yeah, I'm getting that. Well, John, you've avoided me for now, but I'll get you, my pretty. So how, if you don't mind my asking, how, how did you and
2: John meet? We met through some friends. Um, My friend Louis Leterrier had directed him in a project and um, his producing partner and real life partner Cameron Richardson is one of my besties and uh, Cameron was producing the project with Louis and um, I ended up, yeah, meeting John through them at their house one night and uh, we just kind of saw each other and uh, got to know each other and yeah, it it wasn't like a setup or anything like that but we just through mutual friends became friends and it blossomed into a beautiful <laughs> relationship. That's, <good>. that's lovely. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I think I remember him talking about, uh, yeah, Louis, Let- uh, back mm-hmm. when we were working together. Uh, that's So that's making sense to me now. So now this is exciting. You were just nominated for a Saturn award, uh, which are the awards given out by the Academy of science fiction, fantasy and horror. Um, this is the 50th year of the Saturn Awards you you were nominated for best actress in a streaming series congratulations
2: yeah. uh, thank you so much it's really cool to be you know a, a part of that community they're a really amazing bunch
0: yeah absolutely and uh, you know you you're up, you're up against some some other great folks like uh, Britt Lauer from Severance and Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things Elizabeth Olsen from yeah. WandaVision and you of course you're nominated for your role as Parker on the streaming series Leverage redemption um so this is wonderful and when is the when when's that ceremony when does it I, happen
2: I, I don't actually know um not sure <laughs> <laughs> i should know I should know, but listen. I just I just wrapped and drove across across the country, um, and I'm unpacking boxes as we speak. Pretty much. I mean, I took a break to, so we could do this. But uh, in all seriousness, I don't actually know when it is. I think it's coming up soon. I have to look.
0: You're just um, getting your bearings again now.
2: Yeah, yeah. just getting my bearings uh, here. But I think I think it's uh, I think it's coming up in the next little while. I don't know.
3: Actually, well, that's exciting. <laughs> Um, no.
2: No. no, but it's it's cool because uh, LeVar Burton's also nominated for the episode I directed him in for Leverage. Yeah, yes. that's right. Oh, that's so such I, a joy. I feel so proud of his performance. He's obviously such a legend and I had to yeah. do nothing but just the the gift I I received by being able to work with him. It was so magical. So to see him get recognized in this way is really cool too.
0: I heard you talking a little bit about that in another interview and just how prepared he came and like ready to play and have fun. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful upshot from that, from getting to to work on this season. And um, you've also, by the way, been nominated for at least three other Saturn Awards yourself for Best uh, Supporting Actress on a TV series for your work as part. Best Supporting Actress or Best Actress?
2: I uh, should know the answer to this question, just just like I should know when the Saturn Awards are. Um, I I know supporting. I think supporting was my first nomination. I don't actually remember what the other two were.
0: Yeah. Um. Well,
2: I think but, maybe supporting.
0: But both for the original TNT series, *Leverage*. Yeah.
2: Which yeah. Is a, so it's
0: a it's a team of criminals turned heroes who specialize in going undercover to con the bad guys.
2: Exactly. We're like a team of Robin Hood type characters, you know, it's con artists, grifters, thieves, there's a a hitter, a hacker, Um, you know, we go in and basically people come to us when the law won't help them. Uh, We're the the bad guys that are actually good guys, and we can get it done. So it's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, there's elements to it that are procedural, but every single episode has its own unique world that it takes place in. That's the The cool luxury of our show is that we get to bounce around in genre and we get to bounce around in um, story, but the worlds that we get to create are a lot of fun. And it's rare you get to be on a show where you get, you know, a chance to play an awesome character. Like I love Parker so much, Um, but then Parker gets to go in disguise and do these cons. So you're always playing character within character, and it's such a gift. Especially, you know, we do these long runs, these long seasons, so. Um, which is such a gift to have that opportunity to bring the show back to life in a new, in its new, you know, iteration. But Mm -hmm. when you get to change it up every single, uh, episode, it keeps it super fresh and fun and challenging. And it's, it's really fast paced and fun.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, it. is it fast-paced? How fast-paced yeah. are we talking about? Are we're those talking... Cru- two crews that are working around the clock sort of a thing? We
2: used to do it that way, but you know, we came back, we were one of the first shows to come back during the pandemic, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. last last time, uh, last year, last season, we were in New Orleans uh, for nine months, and we shot... Uh, 16 episodes. Wow. wow. We did shut down for hurricane uh, warnings and things like that, which added about a month of time to the to the overall shoot. But, wow. they, yeah. you know, the producers like to say we shoot a feature film every eight days. I mean, eight to ten days. Wow. It's, it's so much, um, you know, it's so much work packed in. But with COVID, it really shifted how we could shoot the show that first season. And we're still coming back from it. But I think what we're able to achieve even in the second season was... Was even you know more comprehensive in terms of okay we can get more exterior locations we can have more extras, mm. um, but the show you know we're used to blowing things up and. My character is an adrenaline junkie. She's a thief, so she's always <laughs> right, climbing, yeah. you know, hanging off a building or something yeah. like that. So now, it's do you do?
0: Are, how much of that, or do you do? By the way, are you doing? I all do. Of these uh, stuff? You are, I do as much
2: as as much as I can safely. I never do the hardcore stuff. I I'll. I usually do the ins and outs of moments. So if yeah. I'm breaking into a vault with lasers, I would do the beginning of the back bend basically, and you know, some of the rolling around things, and then I'd do the pop-up at the end. But yeah. it's it's crazy because Parker does so many different things. Um, when I I learned about the world of stunt performers, I learned that, you know, their skill sets uh, are are really unique and different most of the time. And we would have kind of like a rotation of three, actually, because one needed to have a lot of upper body strength Mm. for hanging off of buildings or doing fights or doing things like that. And that same body doesn't necessarily work with the contortionist element (laughs) of going around lasers, right? So you almost need like a Cirque du Soleil performer and, you know, for that and the wire work. And so it's been really fascinating to see all these different amazing artists come in with their skill sets and you know, body double. It's this part or that part, and it's it's been such a, a, a joy. Actually, Jessie Graf, I think, is probably the first stunt performer that I got to to really become friends with, and um, she's now being honored for a really cool award. She just did uh, Wonder Woman. She doubled for uh, Gal, and um, yeah, she's amazing. Anyway, Fantastic. I haven't had had a chance to work with her this season or last because of, uh, she's been so busy. But yeah, it's it's uh. I love this role because it's very physical hmm. it's you know also really just you get the comedy you get the drama and um I get to be just sort of off pattern with Parker it's fun
0: <laughs> that's great and so this, yeah. Is, yeah this is almost 10 years later that this show has gotten a second life as Leverage Redemption and this is on Amazon's on-demand streaming service IMDB TV which is now rebranded as Freebie am I right on that so yes so, so it's so
2: amazon Freevee, yeah
0: amazon Freevee, and where how does how does one get free <laughs> v do they type in free <laughs> v in their in their browser or is it you, you download it as an app i guess
2: i guess you can do the app you can go on amazon and type in the show and it kind of it takes you to it really um you know if you type in leverage redemption it'll pop up and you it's pretty straightforward you can find it you know through the freebie app as well, yeah.
0: Great, and so Leverage, yes, like we've talked about, it's a bit of a nod to TV shows maybe from before, like The A-Team or a film like Ocean's Eleven. There's even the new animated film out that my kids love this movie, The Bad Guys. Like you said, you've got the hacker, the grifter, the tough guy, the thief. Parker is the thief, and she has been mentored to become the world's greatest cat burglar and safe cracker. And she has near superhuman acrobatic and stealth abilities, but <laughs> virtually no social skills. Is that right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. In this iteration, you know, they we had discussions, um, the writers and I and the producers and I about you know, we left her in the position to lead the team at the end of the original series. Mm. And so coming back, they they wanted um to make a couple of shifts. And we talked a lot about the importance of not normalizing Parker to the point where she loses who she is, right? Like, Mm, uh, she's a damaged person in some ways, but through this friendship she has with her team and through helping others and being of service to others in this way, it's really, she's grown and learned a lot about herself. And she's also, you know, really uh, blunt and honest and straightforward with people which can be off-putting sometimes and so you know it was like the balance I have no idea he, what
0: that feels like yeah uh, <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know and yeah. so is, she a, her, is she a
0: Sagittarius
2: I don't know <laughs> no she's not but but she's yeah you know it was important to keep that aspect and also allow her to grow up Um, in some ways you know, mature emotionally a little bit. She's now in a relationship with this character Hardison, uh, who's Mm. played by the amazing Aldous Hodge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yes, he's phenomenal. And so he and I talked a lot about, about where the relationship is now. And there's, A lot of, you know, look, there you go on other shows and there's ways that things naturally progress and the fun that we get with the show is there's a freedom to let it be whatever we want it to be. So, you know, their comfort and uh, sort of stability comes from their history and all the crazy shit they've been through together um, and these wild circumstances. And he gets her in a way that nobody else does, and I don't think Parker would work if everyone around her in the team was always rolling their eyes or, you know, but because they fully just accept who she is, it allows my performance, I think, to be off the ground a bit more than others at times, right? So it's it's really fun. It's a really cool dynamic, and I, I'm really, really loving, you know, bringing her back to life and um, just getting the opportunity to do something like this. I mean, as an actor, it's like you really hope that you can connect with a fan base or an audience in such a way yeah. that it lasts over time right like I want my communication as an actor to help people inspire them make them laugh just make them feel good you know it's right now especially it's so important to feel good uh, at the end of a stressful day and yeah. so you know that I've really realized that, that that's so fulfilling and it's a very small small thing I can do. Uh, with, with, with being an actor, you know, but it, um, everyone always says, well, we're not curing cancer. We're not, you know, brain surgeons, we're not helping on that level. But at the same time, when I get an email or a tweet from someone who says a a really heartwarming story or tells me something, how this character made them feel accepted when they thought they were Mm. never going to fit in anywhere and that being odd or being a little different is okay. And, Um, not looking like a Kardashian is okay and not, you know, all these things that uh, you don't really expect to get things like that. And then when you get a 12-year-old or the mother of a 12-year-old or the child of someone who's 75 and they were just in the hospital and they connected because of the show. Like, hmm. I love those stories, you know, and it's, I think it's yeah. really important. So I, I'm really grateful that the show's given me the opportunity to do that over and over. And, and now all these years later, eight years later, do it again. Which is super cool.
0: It is, and that is a wonderful celebration of the work that you're that you try to do, and it's making connections with people on that level is lovely. You know, um, now when you work on a character like this week in and week out for years, do you find yourself imitating the character in your regular life? Is there a confidence or maybe even a woundedness that the character carries that you start to incorporate into your story?
2: I think you know. Or are, the... you, are
0: you good at keeping those two lives separate?
2: I'm pretty good at keeping it separate. You know, I think becoming a parent at 20, I had my son when I was 25, and um, he was only three years old when I got the pilot. Wow. And so wow. being a single mom, you know, it's like you really need to be able to turn it on and turn it off. And uh, he yeah, completely right. shifted, you know, yeah. my perspective on on that. So when I would come home at night... I knew I was then mom. You know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. like I I really couldn't afford to take that mindset in into my um into my son's life. But right. at the same time, I am a pretty adventurous person, and obviously, there's things that <laughs> I you know I'm I, I can totally relate to Parker in some ways. And I've I've been the you know whatever awkward. I've had all those moments growing up, and things I can relate to with her for sure, and I bring to her. But <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty good at being able to turn it off. Yeah.
0: That's great. I remember uh, hearing Annette Benning said that once when uh, she actually was giving this uh, sort of a, a talk in an acting at an acting studio. Maybe it was Stella Adler, and she said that thing too about turning it off. You know, she said like, and she actually spoke about being a parent as well. She said, "I can't go home and be crazy." Yeah. You know, so she said sometimes she would sit in her car after rapping and just like unwind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just let go of the character before heading on home. Um, Yeah. So uh, now with Leverage Redemption, Redemption, sorry, you're making a career expansion into TV directing, um, which is exciting. And although you've been directing for years, um, you wrote and directed. I did go and watch uh, a, a visually stunning short film that you made for the standard hotels, uh, back uh, in 2014, called A Standard Story. It was, I thought it was great. It reminded me a little of um, things from maybe Kubrick movies, like lots of that like vivid color.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, people in animal costumes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought it was dreamy and, and uh, super cool. Um,
2: oh, thank you.
0: Is this right? You started out as a talented photographer in high school?
2: Uh, yeah, I started taking photos. Uh, film photography really started when I was about 13 or 14. And then in high school, I joined Photo Club. And that really set me off on my my journey. I have five older sisters. And two wow. of them had gone to Europe and one studied abroad. And two are really arts uh, based in their, you know, or were arts based in their studies. And Um, They introduced me to Ansel Adams and some black and white photography that I had never seen before. Um, uh, So it kind of started, you know, there, all my interest in it, just, I poured myself into it. I was the president of my photo club. I would stay after school for long, long hours and develop all my own film and have shoots with my friends. And so, yeah, I was hooked really the minute I I figured out how to use a camera and, i think i can remember back you know further it's i've always wanted to be a storyteller and i think that's um that's always kind of been there but photography was really definitely my way in my that window opened and i was like hooked yeah
0: you since then you've photographed wonderful portraits of actors and musicians um you you know you you're originally from minnesota is that right
2: that's right yeah Mm
0: -hmm. um and then I, I, can you explain this to me? So you created you a cross country road trip documentary. Is that right?
2: Yeah. That, so my that first ended thing. ended with an
0: exhibition.
2: Yeah. So the the standard story a standard story was the first film that I had been commissioned to do. Um, and it was in conjunction with this this company called WeSC, mm-hmm. and it's, it meant we are the superlative conspiracy. It was a Swedish, uh, kind of like street apparel line, and uh, they would bring in all these artists, like pro wrestlers, uh, pro skateboarders, uh, painters, graffiti artists, DJs, and we were called activists, the WeSC activists. And so what that meant was, essentially, they would put us together, dress us in their clothes, do crazy photo shoots, and then we would tour our photos. And so I had, you know, the opportunity to tour um, my photography all over the world. At that time, with all these other artists, we'd do these cool group shows. And so the standard hotels actually approached them with this concept, and they wanted to have five different artists uh, do films in their different locations. And I was assigned the downtown LA location. And it was really meant to showcase this line of passport holders and wallets that they had made for each location. Mine were red. The one in Hollywood Mm, was like all the products were blue. Right. And so um, it it was interesting because I said, okay, I want to do this, but, and I'll get back to like your original question, but the, I said, yeah, I'll do it if I can make a short film. I don't really want to make a commercial for your wallets, but I'll do something or for your hotel. But if you give me some creative freedom and they were like, yes. So everybody (laughs) in that is a WESC activist, everybody who was in my short. So I used all these awesome people and then I, you know, I glued the feathers on the costumes myself. I was actually filming in Oregon on leverage at the time. So I would fly down and location scout and do all the things and then fly back up and I worked on it and prepped it and shot it, but that's who, who all those people that are in there are. That and then I got Aldous and his brother Edwin Hodge to be the two guys on the roof with me, and Peter Stormare is yeah, in it, right, and right. he's he was a wee activist at the <laughs> same time, and then he, he, he ended up working. Yeah, <laughs> he's amazing. He ended up doing an episode of Leverage, totally unrelated. I'm sure he did. Really, yeah, he's perfect really funny. It. Yeah, But anyway, the WESC connection came about because I had done a road trip across country, across the country with my friends Alex Prager and Mercedes Helmbein, um, both really incredible artists. And at the time I was pregnant and we decided to go across and make various stops along the way. I think we had a White Stripes concert. We were like, OK, that's one anchor in Texas. Mm. I had a wedding in Minnesota cool. and Alex had some relatives um, that we went and stayed with, but I shot the whole thing and documented it on Super 8 uh, film. And then I did all the sound recording myself with a big pregnant belly. And, uh, you know, we went across and what I ended up making was part, ended up being part of this group exhibition the three of us put on. Mercedes wrote her novel and Alex took photos, still photos. And um, we came back to the States and I cut my film together and it was really like a, I call it sort of a visual, you know, um, moving postcards tribute, like love letter to, to America and all the people I met. And, um, I ended up losing like 80% of my sound because I didn't know better. I had a little mic and, and this little recording device, but the wind
3: wouldn't, oh, you know what I mean? Right. Like I
2: wasn't technically yeah. savvy with sound recording. And so I ended up having the girls the other women on the trip narrate some stuff, Alex and Mercedes. And it, oh, so great. anyway, I put this film together. And then we rented out a horseshoe shaped motel in Los Angeles and downtown. And each of the rooms we opened up and Alex screwed her photos into the wall with big gaudy gold frames the way they oh do in little motels. So you can't steal them. And then Mercedes had her book on all the nightstands. And then my film was looping at different intervals in every room. So... We put AstroTurf in the parking lot. We got Krispy Kremes to sp- sponsor it. And we called it oh America God. Motel. And we got, you know, s- some fun press. Like LA Times ended up coming and doing a nice piece on it. And we SC came to that show. This is my backwards way of getting t- to got everything. Got it. Okay. They found the three of us there. And they were like, we need female artists. Like, please come join us. This would be super cool, super fun. And so... Yeah. Um, that's how we all kind of got on board with the WSC thing. So that first, that first short I made on Super 8 was really probably the first, you know, proper art piece I had made.
0: That's an incredible story. I love that. I wish I could have seen it. It sounds fantastic. It reminds me of like some of the best directing I've seen, uh, like... Things that I've seen that are theater pieces that are, you know, particularly like, you know, I've, I've been lucky to get to see some productions over at the National Theater in the in the UK. And it's like yeah. they will, it's beyond just the play that's happening on the stage. They'll transform the entire lobby and the outdoors of the theater into a complete playground that is thematically, you know, uh, part of the show in a way. You, you just start wandering into the show from I the outside, that. you know. And um, I, I my mom is also a gallery owner and so i i've been again lucky to sort of get to interact with a lot of wonderful artists and and art uh growing up and i think that just sounds so well i love all your choices i just think it sounds no, that's so completely cool incredible
2: that yeah. your mom yeah that you grew up around that art you know i was introduced actually it, it's funny how things do come together i one of the first jobs I got was a Cindy film and, um it was about a girl trying to enter this fe- you know art festival in Italy and all these things. and I ended up she was a video artist and I learned about Bill Viola and all oh of these God. amazing one of my people. Favorite people. yeah, yeah, and I had never heard of him before. and he really yeah. informed quite a lot for me in terms of, Oh, wow. The, 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 rear screen projection and these things that still really inspire me today. And I am yeah. constantly getting ideas from his work and, and, and others, but, um, but it was funny when I did America motel, uh, my piece is actually called far away swimming pool, the the film I made, but Faraway oh. swimming pool was so bare bones, you know, it was so bare bones with what I did, but the impacts, I mean, people would just sit and get lost in it and just watch it. And they, and I loved that. I loved like creating a stillness and a space for people to just interact with people they would never meet in a million years and it's, you know, like a guy in empty was emptying his ice chest in the in a gas station. I'll never forget it because I was I was uh so pregnant like I said, but I walked over with my little microphone and asked, "Can I take your, you know, your picture? Can I interview you?" and he tells me all about his daughter and how he's going fishing. He's doing all the stuff and he's loading his coolers, He's talking and all of a sudden he's like, "Can I feel your? Can I feel your baby?" Mm. And it was like not weird, not strange, hmm. not nothing, but how I was able to bond with a stranger who was about to go see his daughter. And and then he asked that and the the interactions that we'd kind of take for granted or might feel fearful of if you're on the go in a big city and like a guy comes up to you, kind of feel like, no, what? No, ah, ah. But something about slowing down of time, the slowing down of time and
0: being on the road that way, yeah. being
2: on the road that way. And also, yeah, yeah just people's openness and, you know, seeing the beauty that is there. It's really, um, it's one of my favorite things I think I'll probably have ever done just because it was at a really cool time in my life, you know, when I was, pregnant with my girlfriends and also just really open to everybody's reality. Like I wanted to know about all these people I was meeting. And, and I think that's why that little film resonated with people who saw it too, um, which Mm. made me really happy. Is there a
0: place where where, where people can find it now? Where, where does it live?
2: It doesn't live anywhere right now. I, uh, at some point I want to, I want to put it back out there. You know, it was, it was a part of that, group exhibit and it was a part it's funny because now alex prager i mean she's do you know her work at all she's like got her work in the Tate, like she's one in
0: a bill viola reference in here because i Mm -hmm. have such a beloved i love love him i don't know who she is no
2: yeah so she's now i mean she she's world famous she's won an emmy for her work she is her work is everywhere internationally the tate everywhere and uh she's, she's incredible. I mean, her work has just exploded and Mercedes as well. Mercedes Helen Vine was the artist, is the artist that went with me. And she's, um, an incredible painter. She does pastels, charcoal. she's directed some things and she's an incredible writer. And she's just written, I think her second or third book. Uh, but all of us, it's funny, you know, I, I have thought about revisiting and just like, because it was so long ago. We we're like, where are we now? Like, what are we doing now? Well, you're all um, doing
0: incredible things now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, how, how do you fall into a group? Of, where? Like, where does, like, auditioning for TV shows come into this? Like, you're, you're clearly surrounded by, uh, you know, you are and you are surrounded by exemplary artists, uh, mixed media artists, film filmmakers. Where does, like, the, you know, you've got an audition that, you know... Paramount today? Or like, when does that start happening?
2: Uh, you know, it's a hustle, man. I remember sure. it's just when I had my son, I'll never forget this one season. I mean, now everything is self-taping, right? But back when my son is now almost 19, he's just graduated high school. And so it's, it's oh been gosh. a long time, but he, I remember testing at Disney and I tested eight times in one week. So for people who don't, know what that means you essentially audition yeah then you get called back and then you meet the producers and then everybody decides who they want to test right so it's very high stress you're there practically all day whatever you go in a scary group of network people and you audition and then you go and wait for four hours eight times is a lot yeah and it was for a couple of shows but i remember they were all there and so I would I couldn't, I didn't have time to get home to, uh, I was breastfeeding my son at the time. So I would run to my car and pump, put -hmm. the milk in the cooler, Mm -hmm. change for my next, like all in my car. And then I remember just running back out and running back in and at the end of the last one when I, I didn't get any of them, but it was like down to the white, But wow. I didn't get a single one. And at the end of that day, I just remember being in my car in this lot being like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, <laughs> right, right. what am I doing? Why right. am I doing this? This is brutal. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, someone I'm thinking, asked me the other day,
0: they've said, like, do you get paid for that? It's
2: like no. no, you don't get paid for that. No. no. No, you don't get paid. You don't get paid to spend, you know, uh a day driving to Santa Monica oh, no. and coming back, but uh for an audition, but you just you make it you just make it happen. You know, I had a lot of support um from friends and family and things like that too, but it's uh it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but you just hustle, right? This isn't. Yeah, yeah. You, somebody asked me the other day how you know how to get into directing. They're interested in it, and hmm. any any tips and things. And I honestly was just like, I wish I had an answer that was like, here's the path, do these eight steps, and then it gets you this. But truly, I was like, it's hard work. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. set your goal, set your sights on what you want, and don't stop until you get there. That has been my successful action, right? Like you roll up your sleeves, you stay up mm-hmm. late, you don't go out when you have work the next day. You you're the one that's, you know, I was I had a kid before most of my friends did and so Yeah. But even before that, I remember, you know, people are going out in LA and there's parties and clubs and this and I would stay in on nights when I knew I had a big day and Sure. You know, you just you know that it's what you do. So I think it was just really like the arts, the artistic path, I think it's like, it's funny because I think had someone seen my show and been like, we want to commission you for more of these installation pieces, I would have jumped at that opportunity, Mm. but that wasn't happening. Right. But what was happening were auditions and things. And I started making a living doing that. And it just, I got traction with it. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to continue with my photography as long as I can, and then, um, see what evolves. But, I have so much in me that I still want to do that isn't necessarily in the TV film world, but Mm -hmm. I'm also really right now loving, you know, I'm loving directing. I'm loving, um, the path that I'm on right now, but there's always more I want to do. And I, I'm very hungry in that way. Like I'll, I'll keep thinking of things I want to do or plan another installation. And, you know, I might have to wait a minute until I'm not, uh, working nine months or whatever, so I can properly plan it. But but yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it's funny how life happens. You know, I think at one point I, I thought for sure I was going to be a photographer and that is my end game. And then, you know, you evolve and you grow and everybody you meet opens some new idea or, or door into a different way of seeing something. And I, I think I love that about what we do.
0: What was the first, uh, acting class you took? Like when did that happen?
2: I remember doing, you know, I think I did like a commercial workshop and then, uh, I took a class with one of my favorite people on the planet, Laura Gardner at the Howard Fine oh, yeah. Institute, okay. uh, right. Her Howard Fine acting studio. I don't know what the official name is, but it was Howard Fine. He was the big name, but I had Laura Gardner. And so I signed up, I did like the three month thing and then I loved it. So I did the whole, the two year, um, intro uh into the advanced scene study, and then I have you know I studied other places, but really that was where I got the nuts and bolts of my technique, the Uda Hagen book was like mm-hmm. life changing the, the, yeah, oh, the, the, the challenge for the actor, or yeah, respect for acting the challenge for the actor and um all of those, and then I've read a million books and I've tried a million different things, and you know how it is you find your own process and kind of organically go with what makes sense for you and but that was an amazing foundation for me and she's you know, over the years was a, a great mentor to me and really helped me with auditions and things like that.
0: What was it? So, so you did, you were Minnesota to maybe Nevada?
2: Yeah, to Vegas. Actually, my uh, I went to junior high and high school in Las Vegas. And then I came out to LA when I was 19, I think, turned, just about to turn 20. Um, I actually got a modeling agent and was looking for To do that, so I could learn from photographers and travel. Those were the two things I wanted to do was learn. Yeah, I wanted to learn from these amazing photographers and I wanted to travel. So I thought, okay, this, I can get paid and do both of those things. Great, great, great. And then they, my modeling agents actually started having me audition for commercials and it, that just started working out and um, it was nicer on my soul. Like I felt more fulfilled. Uh, The modeling thing wasn't for me at all. and so I thought, oh, this is this is fun. My agents at the time were really cool. They were like, Look, you this is happening for you, your instincts are right. Go yeah, So yeah. I just didn't look back and I yeah, just dove into it.
0: That's great. That's wonderful. And then so so how many episodes of Leverage Redemption have you directed now? Four. That's great. It's
2: yeah, incredible. I thanks. Yeah, yeah. No, I did uh Initially coming back, I I got one, and that was the the episode with LeVar Burton, and yeah, yeah. and then uh, you know it's it's one of those things where you got to prove you can do it. You have to prove you can be on time, you know, on schedule, on budget. Uh, your cast and crew have to like working with you. The, the your bosses have to like you know like your show, like your product, and um, you know you've got to turn in an episode that actually fits within the box and the format and timing wise and all those things. So I had to prove that I could do that. And my boss, Dean Devlin, you know, he's the studio behind Leverage. And then Amazon is the one, right, putting it out. And uh, yeah, yeah, and Dean was like, look, I've seen you shadow and hustle for fifth, whatever many years it was, right? Like 10 years or something. Uh, No Mm -hmm. longer, 15 years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he's like, I know you're ready now. So we want to give you a shot at this, which was super, really cool. And also I was, I always had my camera around my neck on set, even that first season. And it, because I loved it, I love documenting everybody and I would always make a slideshow and whatever, but it's just so, so, so in me. And then I would say, can I, go on that location scout. Can I sit in on that production meeting? Uh, wardrobe, what do you do? Like, how do you pull your inspiration? Like I've always been super curious. And I, I Mm. did have a production company. I started a production company when I was 26, 25. I can't remember now, but, um, I got some experience there with pilots and sold a couple shows and made a pilot for MTV. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah and uh and then that stopped when I when I had my son and acting started to take off my trajectory changed. Right. And um but you know I I've always been interested in doing things and I've been a part of indie filmmaking with friends and in my own stuff for a really long time and the importance of um you know, making the breakfast burritos for the crew and then also doing hair and makeup and <laughs> gluing feathers. Making it's all making the
0: breakfast burritos, making them? You are making no, them? A, I no I wasn't
2: making no, no that was definitely not in the cards of the on um, the, the shoot I'm thinking of. I had to go pick those up. Uh, but there was there <laughs> yeah. was no postmates yet.
0: <laughs> that would be an incredible story. This Director actually makes the breakfast burritos. Yeah. How much of the um, how much of the I wanted to ask you how much of the crew crew on leverage redemption is the crew from the original TNT series. It's been, you know, a period of time here. Any of the old older crew on this one? Yeah,
2: absolutely same uh, costume that makes designer.
0: Different. Yeah.
2: For sure in the wardrobe department we have um our on-set dresser uh Kara and Nadine Haters is still she she's done We did a hundred and something episodes now of the show. And she was like, she didn't do the pilot, but she's on every other episode. And then Gary camp our steady cam operator and Dave Connell, our DP have been there the whole time. And, uh, obviously our executive producers are still, you know, they're all the same. And, um, I might be forgetting, I don't know if I'm forgetting anyone. I have foggy moving brain right now, but, uh, but a good, good handful of the crew are still there. Yeah.
0: That's great, and mm-hmm. uh, so when does this latest season debut? Has it started already?
2: Not yet. No. I don't know because you know I only finished on the twentieth. What is yeah. what day is it? I like ten days ago we wrapped. So I think they're you know we're gonna turn in all the episodes, and then I think November they're gonna start season two. I'm not totally sure, but I haven't gotten the official date. Okay, all right. Cool. I'm guessing so now, November. Yeah.
0: Now you've done over, you know. Many now over hundred episodes of TV in your acting career, um, including arcs on shows like Criminal Minds. You also played Billy's mother on Stranger Things. Very yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very well known for that. And so, what is the what's the audition process for you these days? Like, what how much stuff do you get offered versus how much stuff are they like they would like to see a tape?
2: Yeah, <laughs> They'd mostly like to uh, see if
0: you could act for. Yeah,
2: it's does it mostly just seem always at a point, like ridiculous. It does, but you know that's the thing. It's it's it, it it's almost always a self tape right now. You know, yeah, like right. as you know, we're not really going in the rooms anymore. It's all via Zoom or you you submit your self tape. It's pretty much my life, man. Like I don't. I you know, one day I hope to be so fancy that someone's like, Hey, we just wanna offer you this job. Right. No right. the we know you work, we know what you can do. But so far <laughs> I will be straight up with you. That doesn't happen to me very often. I pretty much I hustle, you know. I yeah. still audition for everything. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Wouldn't it just be nice if people would just <laughs> be a little bit like here's over a hundred episodes of television that I've been yeah. nominated for these awards. <laughs> um, anyway. um but could so, you
2: could you read these two lines which just just lines? happened the other day well we live in a lines. world
0: we live in a world where i think uh on our side of things where it's kind of like you know you're such a pro and you don't mind and blah 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 and there you know i do remember hearing a quote from uh i think it was tom hanks who's they somebody said to him like are you you you're not gonna have to audition anymore how does that feel like after he got to a certain i don't know when it was maybe after he did splash or something i don't know mm-hmm. and he said he said that he would miss out on the opportunity to get people excited about their work which is like the most tom hanks response <laughs> to that it's a little yeah. bit it's like it's like yeah. oh, that's a good answer but damn it tom <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, damn it! You know, I think there is the thing I you you enjoy it as much as you can. And I I will say, as a director watching tapes, I I truly do yeah. understand why why people, even if they know your work, would like to see you yeah. as this as this character and see what you bring. Because right, I gotta say, you know, I get it. I do. I do actually really get it. Even if you know someone's work, well, how do they bring this character to life in a different way? And yeah. Everybody looks different than that other job they did, and there's something about really getting the essence of someone from an audition, and even a slate. I used to hate doing slates, and think oh, they're... what is your
0: trick for doing them? Because I am. I don't. I tried. I just <laughs> try not to be robotic. <laughs>
2: yeah i don't have a trick at I all i just does anyone do my... finger
0: guns out there like <laughs> hey
2: i've had some really fun i've seen some really amazing ones um <laughs> i think it's really just fun to sh- to say hi because we can't go in the room anymore it's the one second they get to kind of see a little window into who you are yeah and i never really saw it like that until i started watching auditioning tapes for the show and thinking, oh, wow, like I get, and you do kind of get an essence there of, or an idea of their essence in how they, this is going to sound whatever, but I, I feel I am very perceptive and how someone will take a note or if mm. there's a lot of ego there, or mm. yeah. you can kind of sense it, actually. Um, it's right. not, you know, I always base it off of the work, obviously, and, and the person fits and they're just that person to you, suddenly it clicks, right? So I get it. But um but yeah, the slate, I just am myself.
0: <laughs> that's very interesting. I think it's important, you know, to, uh, to repeat is that it's, there are so many people who are going to do great work. Um, there are too many good actors. That's the thing. So, it, so yeah. much of it has got to come down to, do I want to spend time with that person for 14 hours a day, you know?
2: Uh, That's definitely an element of it, I think. But, you know, I will say, then again, there's a lot of people who are difficult to work with and are working like crazy. And it's maybe because they're so dynamic, and they bring life to this character in a way that someone else didn't Mm. for that director for that producer in their opinion, right? Right. it's, it's, it's definitely a healthy way. I think to look at the, for myself, because you get told, let's say it's, that was such a great tape. Oh, they loved your tape. They just went in another direction. Like how many times have we heard that? Mm-hmm. Right. Like right. a million times. And, you know, having a ton of actor friends and having my communities around different States when I've moved around and hearing, you know, the local performers talk about their experience with all these productions rolling through and, the yes they're working a lot but they're never given that multiple episode job it's just that one offer it's this one and you get all these different perspectives that people have and it's like at the end of the day I think you can't sit in that right you can't sit in that no because otherwise that just builds it's like clay on top of clay on top of clay and there's a heaviness that comes with that and I think being able to Who said this? So many people said it, but uh, I wanted to say Tom Hanks. It's not Tom Hanks. Somebody said they look at, maybe it was Denzel Washington or someone. I can't remember. But he was like, I look at every time I got to do my job today. I got to go in and play. It's easier said than done. You know, when you get so many no's in a row, it can be really taxing. But I think that was the key for me was like, oh, I have to let this roll off because I have a new character to create. Tomorrow who does, mm-hmm. didn't just get ten nos or whatever? And I think that's always been what I've tried to keep with me is that levity and that lightness and that's that playfulness when it comes to that next. Uh, I'm going off on a tangent. Sorry. On that next um, no, audition. Tandem. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's a it's a nice reminder for yourself that you know find that space that's safe for you before you do an audition and then play. There's no rules in that space.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think you know it's like the, it's also the you, the opportunity to read is really for I, I would imagine for for you when you're sitting on the other side it's like it, or and all the folks who sit on the other side it's like we have this thing on the we have this thing on the page character and uh you know it, it, it this character doesn't exist until an actor does it and an actor some we're going to see a bunch of people come in and we're going to see a bunch of different characters <laughs> that that are you know have some of the dna of what's on the page but it's like they're all the anything written on the page i think it was uh in this book called backwards and forwards the uh, it's a technical manual for reading plays which is about the, the idea that or talked about like all characters are skeletons mm-hmm. essentially so your interpretation should be your own and you know i think w- w- do you notice when like an actor comes in and does something that and and the reaction is kind of like, oh, well, that's not what we had, but we want that. That's what we want. Now we, now we know who this character is because of something this actor does.
2: Meaning they've inspired this. Per- yes, it's like an inspired version of something. You didn't even see it coming. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, there's so many. For example, in the last episode I directed, probably you know, nine women I could have hired based on their tapes. They were phenomenal. Mm. And then the guys, it was I had to pair up uh, two cops, right? Two buddy cops. And there had to be a very specific synergy between these two people. And that informs who you cast. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy because my heart, my actor heart is like, oh, because, you know, all these people deserve this role. They're all so incredible. But they're all completely different. And there was one one actor that came in, uh, that was sent a tape in, and who was so phenomenal. He didn't. He wasn't the character that the you know the writer had written, and maybe who everyone thought the typical person should be. I fucking loved him, and I was okay, like, okay. Right. I want to hire this guy. And then I was like, but it's not the right fit for this show in this moment and I knew it and I knew that it was the it's because I thought it was brilliant as an actor and I'm like okay but keep him in mind for the next thing you know what I mean and it, it's right, it's heartbreaking right. it's hard but that's the shit that happens you're like well you know you hear all these weird reasons why you don't get jobs and sometimes they make you want to scream and cry and you know, you're like, why, why, but that shouldn't matter. But then when you see behind the curtain and the amount of decisions that are going into this and even down to the crap that just it's infuriating, but with the pacing of TV, it's like sometimes budget wise suddenly something happens and you can't bring in any, anyone in from out of state. And you had a choice that was, you know, from California and we're shooting in new Orleans. So, right. um, you know, things like that shift or change all the time. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's an eye opening experience to be on the other side of it, and a great actor shines no matter what. I think like even if they're not right for the role, you can see that they brought something really special to something. Whether or not it's right, I think I have such an af- appreciation um, for the the craft of acting and the balls it takes to put yourself out there. That I love it. I love encouraging that and people making bold choices, even if you, you know, you want to go against the grain and make a cool choice. It's really inspiring. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, just keep going. That's always my thing. Cause there's so many good actors that that should be getting roles that aren't, I mean, look, we know that there's, we're in a city full of, Yeah, you know,
0: full of actors. Yeah. I think the thing that is, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is kind of tough is that, like, you never know what's going to come around the corner you never know what day something is gonna change from so so many no's to just thinking that like that's incorporating it into your name like i'm gonna add that to my legal name and then the next day something amazing will happen oh everything changes
2: i mean with leverage i can say i gave myself i had a three-year-old i gave myself three months I was like if i don't book something substantial in three months i have to do something different i can't afford i can't afford to do this anymore so i wrote out a plan no joke and got so disciplined like every single thing in my day needed to go up to that overall purpose which was to provide an amazing living for my son
3: Mm -hmm. um
2: to be able to you know feed him clothe him house him Keep all of us healthy and um, be on a show that felt like a family that was inspiring and and that helped people in some capacity. Like that, it was some version of that I put up there, right? So I decided every single action of my day needed to, in some way, get me towards that. So even if it was eating well and not skipping meals, because I knew I'd have the brain power to still be a good mom and memorize at. Nine o'clock at night after my son's gone to bed and work for two hours and then, you know, get up with him at five or whatever. Yeah. It was all the things. But, and I remember I had a, a sitter and she she was late a few times. And I remember sitting like 26 at this time, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Almost 27. And I remember saying to her, I go, Hey, so I know this is going to sound so type A and crazy, but I'm like, when you're 10 minutes late, it actually puts me 10 minutes behind. And then that affects this thing and rolls into my next thing and the next thing, next thing. And I'm really on a purpose right now. Like I got to get this and I'm just putting all this order in so I can do this. And she was so amazing. She was just like, I've never thought of it like that. I've never thought of it that, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot by doing things like being late or sleeping in too long or whatever. And when you're being hyper-focused and your stakes are really high. I was like, okay, this is what I have to do and somehow I I, I it worked because I, it, the universe somehow something opened and I ended up getting the audition for Leverage and I went up and did it and uh you know, I got a call back and then at the call back I remember leaving and I I didn't feel like I totally nailed it and I was mm. like, fuck, I was like, fuck this. I'm going back up. I'm going to do the crazy thing. Oh no shit yeah i sat in my car and i was like no your three months are almost up you actually can't afford to not give it your everything so i go back up i ask the casting assistant can i talk to the producer well he's got three more people to see so you'll have to wait for the rest of the sessions so i call my sir i gotta wait blah, blah, blah. he comes out and it was uh john rogers the the creator of the show he comes out he's like oh hey and i go yeah uh so listen I feel like I didn't really do the thing. You know, I wanted to do this other thing and I I would like another shot to please just show you this. I really prepared. Da, 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 da. And he was like, whoa, kid, like calm down. <laughs> and he was like, I think I even like may have grabbed his shoulders or something. It was like, you literally gotta hear me. And, you know, I was so excited, but also so determined. And he was like, you're good you don't got to do it again trust me when i say you did good yeah and i was like okay all right you know and i we laughed about it from that point on when i ended up getting the role they were like we thought you were a little crazy doing that (laughs) but at the same time i saw we saw how much you gave a shit and it was just really funny in hindsight but you know yeah. look it was uh it was now or never time for me before the show came into my life, so I you know I gave it my all. I could say that
0: that's a great story <laughs> I love that. I love the neuroses of it. I need to go back because you know, I don't oh. think that I've done that ever. <laughs> but I've had moments of, like, I'm sure I've had a moment of, like, leaving something and having to come back and be like, I'm so sorry that I left my... <laughs> Oh, there's my phone. Sorry,
2: or I my bag. Um, I've definitely seen, you know, people in their cars after auditions doing the lines... And you're
0: like, oh, oh, oh after going back, oh, yeah, yeah, going sure. back
2: over well, it. Well, that's you can't... an interesting
0: one. That's one that we don't we don't deal with that quite as much now that we're not going in unless we're doing a mm-hmm. Zoom callback, I suppose. But yeah, now it's the I think the thing that I find is hard is like now we see everything we're doing, which is great and also uh, can be um, confounding because then you're left with these versions of what you're doing and you're like, well, I like them all. Or you know, so it's like what or God, there's some I there's a moment in this one that's like one of the greatest things I've ever done. But then I like I barely didn't <laughs> hit the T on that word and that and so and then but is does that ruin the whole thing? And it's so hard to know. And I the the thing I'm trying to focus on the most now is like how did it make me feel? That's it. Yeah, like I don't care awesome. if I stumble on the thing, on a word yep. a little bit. Yep. It's just like Does it make, am I feeling a lot is what I'm trying to focus on because it's hard. That's the new thing. It's like, which take do do Mm -hmm. I send, right?
2: Yeah, I've been there too. I totally get that. I I like what you're saying about how it makes you feel, you know, if you're really connected to it and you feel you've transcended this moment in some way. I mean, that's, that is amazing. And that's absolutely valid. And trusting that feeling I think is so important because only you know. You know what I mean? You know, when you feel connected and when you're truly being another person, Mm. you feel it because time kind of goes away. Right. Like you you get in that zone, that wavelength. And it's those are the moments that you can spot, I think, and say, okay. that said, we get auditions. So last minute. Sometimes you just have to a wing in a prayer and try to get get it memorized and get it get her done, <laughs> you know. Sure. But I love what you said because it is about your own experience with that. You're creating art, you know. Every time right. you do it, even though it feels tough and you you're sweating trying to set up the fucking tripod in the background and then your child's being noisy and then I guess stop and start over or the siren comes and ruins it (laughs) um you know whatever it is but it's it's important not to forget that thing that you just said because that is why we do it right it's why Mm. or why I love to do it I should say is it's creating on on a level where time and space kind of go away and Mm. slipping into being another person is it's thrilling right so yeah. um i i feel what you're saying on that and i think i also try to connect like you said if you screw up a word i don't really give a shit about that because um, i'll get it on the day and people know that you know the director knows you got you can get off book or whatever it's it's really do you stay in as the person when you when you screw up you know that's mm-hmm. that's, that's that's fun that's cool
0: yeah well, yeah. that's another thing about people too. It's like we don't talk; so we flub when we talk.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's not like it's not like yeah. we speak in perfect sentences all the time. We always we make mistakes, and you know, it looks like life. I guess. Yeah,
2: I mean, if it's Sometimes. mammoth or somebody, like you know, whatever, right. needs to be word perfect, obviously. Right. But it, for yeah. the most part, when you're when you're in there, things like that, I don't ever. I try not to give myself a hard time about that stuff.
0: So now you and you and John are collaborating on a few projects, I should probably, I want to give him, send him some mana, or am I using it correctly? Um, Yes. But send him some good vibes. So what are the, can you talk about, so you have, I mean, you've done a number of things together recently. You've done some short films. You have a feature film, correct, Mm -hmm. called uh, The Slog After the Bow.
2: Yes, that, we have not shot that yet, but that is something that John wrote and created, and I became really obsessed with it when I read it when we first met, and that's something that I want to make as soon as possible. Um, And it's incredible. John's a phenomenal writer. Um, He's got so many projects right now. um, Yeah. Out and about, which is really exciting. But the one we shot actually a a short version of one of his projects and I'm in, we're in post on it right now. I'm going to say we'd be, we'll be done with it by October. um, Doing some visual effects and things like that. But we, we, fully did it ourselves. We got friends, we got, you know, paid people what we could pay and, um, true indie film, you know, spirit, we made that happen. And so I even got my DP and some folks from my show to help us out. And, and we made that happen. So the idea with it is to essentially, you know, show people like, here's a great taste of what this project is and what it can be. And, uh, it's a lot of fun working and collaborating with, with, john because we know each other really well and have complete trust with one another and so you know it's a total test i always was looking at these people like um the duffer brothers or uh mm. you know who like how do they the cohen brothers or whoever mm. a lot of brothers but mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like these creative partnerships because it's not easy you know it's not easy if one person has an idea and the other sharing
0: the yeah the creative idea Sure. It
2: can be, you know, really uh, complicated, and so the we did this with lots of really amazing people. This project, it is what it is, is what it's called, and uh, right. And yes, I read it, the. I like the logline on
0: this a lot. It follows, if I get this correctly, it follows John's character, uh, Kevin Bass, who, after returning to regular life after a stint on a reality series, he finds out that everybody hates him. Yeah. And wants to kill him. No.
2: It gets pretty dark. the The overall, yeah, it goes it goes down a, a road. The short, we don't f- explore the entire story, obviously, but it's a taste of what's to come for this guy Kevin. And we sort of became inspired by, well, not sort of, really became inspired by this idea because we spent. He was on a show called The Rook in London. Mm, yeah, and when we were there, it was like football was happening and Love Island was happening, like which is a reality show there that is shot at, you know, now we have the, the American version of the show, but it, it wasn't there yet. And it's every single day, live time, you know, these people in this house, like a big brother type situation. And anyway, we, we just saw how fascinated people are, how obsessive people are. And then what happens to some of these people when they get out and return to a world that's completely not the same world. And doesn't accept them or does accept them or glorifies them or trashes them or burns them, you know, at the stake. And it's, so anyway, it's, it's not about a reality show. It's about the life of this guy and, um, you know, the different standards of outrage in the world. Uh, I like,
0: I like the premise. It reminds me a little bit of like, what would, like what happens in the Truman show? Like after he finally, like we don't get to see like when he integrates, you know? Yes, that's exactly. Yeah. I like it. So, and, um, uh, so you're do you get a break now? I mean, yes. You're moving back to, into LA, you said. Are you you do, how much time do you spend in LA anymore? I mean, mm,
2: normally, I mean, look, usually on my hiatus like yeah, I come back home and um my son, like I said, is done with high school now and so get to have some much needed quality time with him and John yeah. and I are going to go on a little vacation and celebrate some friends birthdays and You know, just have a minute to touch down because burnout is a real thing, obviously. And um, you know, it was a long season, and I think I'm I'm due for a little R and R, so I'm going to have that.
0: (laughs) That's that's how I wanted to meet you, just when you're completely burned out. Um, No, where you'll tell the you'll tell the truth about everything right now. Well, (laughs) listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. I want to say Beth, this is it was so great meeting you. You too. Truly, thank you for making this time to chat with me. You you're coming off a very, very busy summer, uh, moving back to LA. It's very kind of you to take a moment. Oh, thank to you chat for
2: having you. me. It was such an honor talking with you, and I'm I'm humbled and honored to be here. And it was such a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you.
0: I wish you and John the best. I hope he recovers well, truly.
2: Yes, he
0: will. <laughs> Those uh, please,
2: slippery stairs. <laughs>
0: please please give him a gentle hug for me. Um, I will. And I, I hope we get to hang in person at some point.
2: Absolutely. Me too. We will.
0: Well, there you have it. My conversation with Beth Risegraff. A big thanks again to Beth for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Baron Vaughn, Joe Tippett, Sarah Paxton, Chantal Tui, Christine Woods, Patrick Adams, Leonard Robinson, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash me, And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram at thingsaregoinggreatforme. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Darwin Shaw. We have a lovely chat about theater in the UK, the differences in UK and US acting training. We chat name changes and artistic origin stories, including his changing careers from being a surgeon to a professional actor. It's a fascinating conversation. Here now is the talented and thoughtful Darwin Shaw. Um, so this was, this was really cool. I, I reached out to interview a mutual friend of ours, uh, John Fletcher, and he had to reschedule. And in lieu of his uh, interview, we, uh, he put the two of us in touch. Uh, it was very sweet of him. John is a great guy. How, how do you, how do you know John? You just worked on a film with him, is that right?
3: I did, but um, I met John when he first came to Los Angeles. His then partner was friends with my roommate, and we had a spare room in our in our apartment. And he came for pilot season, and we became fast friends. And uh, you know, we started auditioning and taping each other, and he booked his first uh, big series um, during that time. And uh, ever since then, we've just been really close and uh, been both support, supporters of each other's careers and both as actors and then latterly as, as writers and filmmakers. He, he's
0: a, he is a lovely guy. I got an opportunity to do a series with him and uh, in which we had almost all of our scenes were together. Um, we just became fast friends. We played brothers on the series and it was, it was a wonderful working experience with him. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was very funny because, you know, I thought, Oh, this would make great interview for me. Anyway, I was just excited to catch up with him. Hadn't seen him in a bit since the pandemic. And then when he, uh, got this opportunity to do, to shadow a director and then he, he, instead of just rescheduling. (laughs) (laughs) He became my booker for this season. (laughs) This is the kind of person that he is. And he has introduced me to you and and some other wonderful people. And uh, it's just thrilling. And uh, to be able to speak to folks like yourself who have had such a wonderful, um, I mean, amazing training and just uh, fascinating and interesting credits that you have uh, is very exciting for me. So um, it was great meeting you we hopped on the phone and got to know each other a little bit uh, before today's interview, which is a a joy. And we had a lovely chat, and we talked about a lot of interesting subjects. Uh, I'm gonna bring up a few of them today since I I find them relevant to topics that we usually discuss on this series. Um, You've been a busy actor for a long time. You've appeared in series like Homeland and House of Cards, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Marco Polo, The Borgia, and most recent, uh, most recently, Moon Knight for Disney Plus. You've also appeared in films like Casino Royale, John Carter, and The Prince of Persia. You've done a lot of action scenes. I've, I, 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 I'm, I've, I've noticed <laughs> some, some involving being on a horse. Uh, <laughs> can you talk about? Because I know you and I talked about your acting training, but I mean, what prepares you for doing all these like fight scenes with with James Bond and and uh, horse fighting scenes with Jake Gyllenhaal?
3: Well, I guess the when I first um, decided to go and get more, I I first started training in New York under a teacher called Bruce Ornstein, who became uh, not only a mentor but a great friend, and I also subsequently helped him um stunt coordinate fight choreograph a movie he was doing some years later but um when I went back to to England and I decided to get some formal training um mainly it was because I wanted to improve my voice and you know I wasn't really prepared to to hold theatre spaces you know with with my background and um I went to Lambda and mm-hmm. uh got some fantastic training there. But one of the things that they specialized in, because uh, there's a guy called Rodney Cotier, who's a sure. ex-Olympic yeah. um, fencer. Oh, is that and right? I didn't know yeah. that. And uh, he, because of course you went to London as well. Yes, I did. And I
0: remember him. And uh, But he was quite older when I was there. And I think probably I was there, I might have been there at the same time that you were there.
3: Probably a similar time, 2003, 2004.
0: Okay, so I was there, I think I was there in 1999. I went the year before I went to, uh, I attended NYU. Right. And he was there, yes, and he was older already at that point. But a lovely, a lovely man. And I didn't know that about his fight training.
3: Yeah, no, so he he was always very... uh enthusiastic and he allowed us to spend an extra summer there doing further training after our course had finished just to kind of um you know because he loved it and he said look the school's empty you can come and you know carry on and we'll we'll let you have the space and then you can do some further exams and uh you know very soon after i i had that sort of three months or two months where i was just in every day doing all this sort of sword fighting and, and, you know, hand-to-hand combat, um, I got the audition for Casino Royale. And I was basically completely in that zone where I just, you know, I was kind of in shape and, you know, fit and, uh, you know, knew what I was doing at that moment, um, which I've probably have forgotten everything now, but, uh, <laughs> but that set me up for the auditions for, for that job. Um, and that was my break. So in the end, it was the the sort of fight choreography coordinate you know training that i got at lambda that actually made the initial difference
0: that's what they tell actors a lot particularly starting out as they talk about your special skills section you know it's like (laughs) if you know how to juggle while riding a a unicycle that could be your
3: (laughs) ticket Yeah, you you never know what it's going to be yeah that's
0: right so now but you also have this incredible origin story for your acting career um I am still wrapping my mind around it, but you had finished becoming a junior surgeon at the age of 24 years old when you applied for a six-month career break. And this came after uh, you were in, chatting with a poet who was frequenting a bar that you were bartending at, and they gave you a copy of The Artist's Way. Did I remember that correctly?
3: That's very well remembered, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, I, I'd uh, graduated from King's College as a, as a junior as a doctor, and I'd done my residence, what we call here in America, the residence. We, call, we called it our house jobs in England. So you do six months of, of medicine and six months of surgery. And then I applied to do an A&E job, which is the ER rotation. And they basically offered me a job, but postponed six months. Um, so I had a six months chance to do another area of medicine. So they said, "Oh, I'll go and spend six months doing neurosurgery or another branch of medicine." As that's how the training works in England. Um, and I decided to, on the advice of this friend who'd just come back from New York, to go and to go there just for six months to explore. And I had some. Very early ideas about writing. I thought I'd go there and I'd write a script. Not that I knew anything about scripts. Not that I had any any clue about the film industry whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but it it kind of was there in the back of my mind, obviously. So I went there with you know with this this book, The Artist's Way, which is a kind of three months. Um, it's like a self directed course in creativity and. Um, right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I followed it, you know, like a good medical student, religiously, and um, it led me into my first acting class, and that was the moment when I had this, I don't know if epiphany is the right word, but it was uh, certainly a revelation that this is something I wanted to really explore, um,
0: and Yeah, it's interesting. Sort of led me in the way. Yeah. I mean, so it's, you know, the, yeah, so this, this book is called, it's a, uh, the artist's way, a spiritual path to higher creativity. It's described as a self-help book, or like you said, a self-directed course. That's I think better put by an American author named Julia Cameron. It is to help people with artistic creative recovery, which I love. I love that expression. It teaches techniques and exercises to assist people in gaining self-confidence in harnessing their creative talents and skills and you thought writing first, which is interesting. How did you get from writing to then to then an acting class?
3: Well I, I guess the idea of, of writing was was kind of in in the back of my head. I had um, I had motorcycled around India um, during my my elective period as, as a medical student and Oh my god. I had a me and my friend had these like very naive ideas about you know writing to the b b c and getting them to give us some cameras to to go and film it yeah um which they informed us they couldn't do <laughs> but, but, <laughs> so, so, but, so you but did we, hear back from them that's great we did hear back but but we we had an amazing journey so I, I had this idea of of adventure and trying to do something you know much you know on the creative side of things um and yeah one of the exercises in the artist's way was making a list of your top twenty jobs. And I wrote down, I think, actor, director, writer, and then a bunch of other stuff, astronaut, and then a doctor suddenly appeared at number seventeen, and you know, wow. and she gets gets you to kind of look back at these exercises and say, well, if you if you notice anything, then, you know, these are gut signposts, and you know, maybe, you can just explore them. You know, not not. I mean, her whole point is not that you don't have to devote your life and give up a, a job in whatever you're doing. But just to kind of harness that inner creative child and just make it part of your life. So if 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 sketching or painting was something which came up, you know, just taking a painting class can bring you incredible mm. joy. Um, yeah. But for me, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was taking this, taking an acting class, and, and and you know, synchronicity took its path, and I ended up in class. Within a few weeks, and it was such a a thrilling experience. Um, it, I I kind of never looked back from that moment. I mean, I can remember it crystal clear, and I was just devoted to the pursuit of learning to 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 try and act. <laughs> um, we well, know. I,
0: I I don't think I read a single book about acting until. Uh... Much later after I graduated, even when I was in school, I don't think that or when I was in college, I don't think I was reading books on acting or books on being a creative person. Um, I was writing. I was reading a lot of books about. Sort of literary theory, you know. I did. I did a double major in English literature, which is another useless uh, degree, but lovely spending time doing it. Mm -hmm. But I think, but it wasn't until years after graduating from from college that I actually picked up a book on acting, and since then have read um, quite a few, including Stella Adler's book, "The Art of Acting," and Richard Boleslavsky's book, "Acting: The First Six Lessons," and Um, Training of the American Actor, which was edited by a a, a dear uh, friend and good teacher of mine, Arthur Bartow, um, which sort of goes through a lot of the major American techniques. So I feel like now pretty well read there. But I do think that this book, this sounds like a great book for me to read now, um, particularly because of that word recovery, because I think that it sounds in part like it treats various stages of development as an actor or as an artist not just sort of to give you the catalyst to begin but maybe to begin again and um, one of the things that you had mentioned to me that was really fascinating about this book which i still have not read because i have zero time to do anything except just this podcast audition for things and be a parent and make some money but uh, Mm -hmm. i am excited to read it but you did talk about this thing called creating a jealousy map which i think is fascinating can you talk a little bit about that
3: well, one of the things that uh that Julia Cameron talks about in this book is is all all the things which get in our way, and mm. you know you know one of the you know when I read this book initially, I had no idea what any of this stuff meant because I was so green and I was coming from a very scientific background but um one of the things that was true is. There's, there are these things called shadow artists. So a lot of people are allies to creative people and they end up living lives which are trying to get close to that thing. And, you know, often that may be agents and managers. Um, um, but often yeah. just in my life at the time, it was, I was one, I was hanging around all these musicians and poets and, and creative people outside of my my work um and I wanted their lives really and you know when I when I grew up I didn't think that being an artist or being an actor was it It was so beyond the world that I and the milieu that I was in I never had a it, it seemed the idea of being in Hollywood and being in a movie was pure fantasy
1: yeah um,
3: right but but when you make these maps of of people who when you're honest with yourself and you go, oh, well, I'm a bit jealous, you know, and I, I had a friend who, who was another doctor who when I told him I was going to be an actor, picked up, we were, there we was like a rubber glove, we, I think we were making, cleaning up after a dinner party and he slapped me with it and said, you'll never be an actor. And he was like my best friend. But immediately that sort of sunk home that, you know, and, le- and later on he then himself, um, became a filmmaker and actor. Come as well.
0: on, you, Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, but so he was doing that in a. Where was that coming from? Because it wasn't coming from a place of just trying to knock you down, was it? I mean, he is a friend of yours. He was doing. It was coming from a place of love. Do you think, or what, what it, was it, that it, moment? Do you think it was
3: a knee jerk reaction of jealousy of of a feeling that it was okay. It's, yeah. it's what it's you know because like how
0: dare how dare you try to leave me and do yeah. something? Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he's always been very supportive of of my journey um but in that moment we always laugh about it because it was you know so it was exactly that thing so if if you kind of write down the things which you make you jealous often it's things that you want and you know what she does is is help you mine that information and you know you can start taking baby steps towards that and it's a you know another thing she said there's you know talks a lot about is there's space for everyone at the top, so you know yeah, right. there's often a very pervasive um culture I think in our field where people put down other actors and you know but the 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 thing behind it is really that I wish I was doing that or mm-hmm. I think I could do that better or you know why why you
1: mm-hmm.
3: but actually we are you know one of the one of the Wonderful teachers I I trained with in LA. She talks about it being like a a rose growing in a forest. You know, you you know, people will come to find the rose when they're looking for the rose. You know, if you are, you may feel like you're not, there's no space for you because everyone, there's all these other trees which are being and other flowers which are being picked, but you know, the thing which makes you unique is the thing which will eventually be your, you know, the thing which will help you to become, come, you know, get that job you want because it'll be the one which is right for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a, it doesn't make you necessarily feel better when you're suffering periods of, you know, lack of work or, you know, you're getting close to stuff and you're just not getting it, but it is true. And as a filmmaker, I know that when you're auditioning people, it's not, the best actor who gets the job. It's the right actor or the person who, who has something that just fits that character um, mm. in a way which suits the film. And you don't get a chance to see everyone. But given a choice of, you know, given how things work and the people available, the, the thing which is the reason why you choose someone is not down to the things that you necessarily assume it's going to be it's not because you did the scene perfectly or you found those emotions of that time it's just that the thing that you brought to it was interesting or or adds another complexity to that character and although it's frustrating as a a fellow auditionee um when you think you nailed something and you're like well how could I not get this because that was the best audition of my life but you know you might have just been a bit too old or a bit too young or too handsome or not handsome enough or you know you you know they wanted this energy to happen later on the series with someone else and it wouldn't work for all myriad of reasons so Mm. it's very hard to keep that in your mind when you're you know when you're when you fall in love with a part and you're auditioning for something and you just you know it becomes your everything for that period of time yeah, but I think it is that, the truth.
0: You know, I think that when you're when you come out of programs like the ones that we went to, and you you're seeing your it's it is it's a, it's it's disorienting because you are you do start to see people some some folks right out of the gate start working, and uh, you know they'll get a contract on a series for five years right away, even before they've got their cap and gown uh and then you know everybody tends to proceed at a different pace and people get these bursts of some of good things happening and they but they just come at different times and so that the experience that you had with your friend in from medical school who's now also a filmmaker it's slapping you and saying no you will never do that you know it's like that feeling of i, I understand that there's something in there that's that thing of like, don't, don't leave me behind, you know? And I think that that is a thing with that, that thing of jealousy, which is, it is almost, it's very hard to ignore it. It is something that happens, I think, to all of us and the way in which we deal with it, I think is, a, is crucial in terms of our mental health. Um, and, uh, but because, very much because it really, you know, that aspect of luck being in the right place at the right to, or just you've met this person and they they just really liked you and they are, they're in a position to say to somebody else oh you should look at this person and who knows and that's how something moves forward for you. Um, it's so it doesn't you don't graduate the, the same way that you would from the from the acting program where you've done your four years.
3: No, exactly. I mean, and I was very fortunate to get that incredible role. And that incredible experience as a as a as a baby actor really to mm. suddenly be on set of a of a movie and it to be an iconic scene with you know a guy who you know the american audience didn't know him then but he was well known in england daniel craig right but he you know was an incredibly a uh, wonderful person to work with particularly it was my first job and he was embarking on this incredible journey as well and, you know, you, you don't, you just never know. I mean, that happened because of, of going to Lambda and going to Lambda happened because I, you know, got, got cut from a play, which I was doing. And suddenly I was like, I was available to go to, to drama school and I was feeling bruised from being cut from this play. Hmm. And Where that was that? In, now,
0: was that back in New York?
3: That was in the Edinburgh Fringe.
0: Oh, no kidding.
3: Yeah, and the, you know, the play was running longer than the slot, and my part was the only one which could be trimmed down, and I was, you know, I was devastated. Oh, God, but, um, I've never
0: heard of that that they've only had a certain allotment for. But of course, Edinburgh is just they pack yeah, the shows you on had, top of each other yeah, like one hour is
3: there's one hour yeah. slots, um, yeah. You know, and th- but that led to me going to Lambda and then yeah. having that experience, and that led to going, you know, getting the the Bond thing, and then you know you mentioned about the action stuff then it was hard to break that mold because people are like, oh, you're kind of a stunt guy or, you know, and you're like, no, I'm not. But then when you try and show them what you've got on, on tape, it suddenly it's like, well, you've got a couple of terrorist scenes. You've got a, a scene of, of uh, you know, of, of two major movies where you're doing action. And, you know, but all I wanted to do was actually not die. You know, so it became a game of like, what page of the script would I, would I be, would meet a a grisly demise? A grisly demise, yeah. yeah, And eventually it got to page 27. And then I think at that point, I was able to actually start speaking properly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, one of the things I've talked to uh, guests about on this podcast is the subject of. Uh, mixed ethnicity and how that can present specific problems when it comes to Hollywood. And you shared with me very generously information about you're being mixed race, half Pakistani and half English. And uh, you spoke about how you were getting cast for a period there almost exclusively as sort of Middle Eastern terrorists and how dispiriting that can be. Uh, Just as we're sort of talking about here and and you know Whether you're getting cast over and over again as like a stunt performer or Something like there are different reasons why each of these boxes can feel frustrating this one in particular I can understand uh, Why it would be so frustrating Um, Because an actor goes to drama school and learns how to play a variety of roles and too often you know for brown actors or visibly mixed-race folks there gonna be a lot of confusing casting decisions,
3: right? Yeah. I mean, I was, I actually had two casting brackets. It was either biblical heroes or it was like really bad terrorists. So, <laughs> my first ever audition, I actually was uh, very lucky to, back in the day when you had to apply for stuff by writing letters with photo, you know, 10 by 8s. Apply to where?
0: To theater? <laughs> Theaters, probably.
3: Well, we had something called, uh, in England called PCR, which was a, a photocopied sheet of, you know, somewhere between 20 and, and 30 sides on red paper. So you couldn't reproduce it and give it to your friends and it would be mailed out on the Monday morning. So you would be waiting literally by your letterbox for this to be delivered and you'd open it up and it would tell you what was casting in student films, TV, movies, and fringe theater and national theater, um, and you literally would scour through it and mm. try and find something which you could, you know could could match yourself to, and then you'd mail you'd write a covering letter with your resume and your headshot and you'd you know, you had a big stack of ten by eights, which, you know, were at great expense, and you'd post them off into the ether. And you know, after doing this for a few months I finally got an audition and it was to play Adam in the story of creation mm. and it was shooting in South Africa. And okay. Literally, I went to a, a church hall in Notting Hill and did this audition and incredibly got this part and you know I flew to to Cape Town and that was the first time I was on screen was really you know oh my God. In, this, in this desert with a you know with a wonderful a uh, New Zealand director who uh, and I did this whole thing and then I claymation it was such a thrill because suddenly it became a possibility it's like oh there is a space um and subsequent to that i have been cast as i think jesus twice and
0: uh, and you played peter a couple times and, it looks like
3: yeah well yeah one one in the in the bible series which was my probably my 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 biggest part to play was uh, a series which was seen by by millions and uh, that was playing playing mm. peter um which was a incredible life experience to to get the privilege to try and bring a representation of him to the screen
0: sure i suppose yeah and, and that was you had said i think you had talked to me about that that was seen by 100 million folks worldwide for the, his, for the history channel is that right for the history channel
3: that's right yeah
0: okay and then so you uh, you know um you had talked a little bit about there was also perhaps around this time that you had made a decision about uh, I don't know if this was after that project, but you had made a decision about doing a name change, a professional well, that happen- name change, right? That,
3: ha- that happened probably a year, in the year before um, I got cast as Peter. Um, and, uh, yeah, I decided to change my name and suddenly got more auditions in the following two weeks than I had in the previous year, um, including... And, uh, you know, what sealed the deal was I, I got cast in Prometheus... Um, right, and we had this wonderful experience shooting with Ridley Scott um, briefly um, but again that was very soon after changing my name it really opened up um, the way I was seen and uh, I think I did the Borgias around then and hmm. then was really lucky to work on stage with a, a guy I'd met an Icelandic director and actor who I'd met during Prince of Persia and he was doing a show at the RSC, um, and I, I got the opportunity to audition for that, and that, that came through the luck of, of making friends with someone on set, um, otherwise I probably never would have been able to audition for it, and, uh, that was you, a tremendous experience.
0: Do you, so when you, when you go about a professional name change, you know, I was just reading about, you know, Martin Sheen was talking about this recently, because, uh, his, uh, birth name, I think, is Ramon Antonio... Gerardo Estevez. Yeah. He changed his professional name to Martin Sheen, although I think that he was saying in this article he had not actually changed anything on his government documents. Now, for, for, and, in, and in, in talking a little bit about, I think he was sort of speaking about regrets about that. And also, also, I think regrets about just not, just sticking with his birth name. Do you, do you feel at all about, do you think at all about, first of all, did you, did you go through with, changing your name on your government issued documents, or was this simply on your sort of professional resume for the acting business? And do you think at all about changing your name back?
3: I mean, I think there is, you know, there is a move for people to reclaim their names and I completely support everyone in doing that. you know, I, I didn't, for the first year or two, I sort of thought I'll try this. And it just got a little bit confusing. Um, you know, I'd be, you know, getting paid with checks with my, my new name, which the bank wouldn't accept, or when you're, you're getting on flights, things are all confusing. Um, but really, the, the main thing was that, you know, I, I chose a name which, you know, ha, has great meaning to me. And it's actually a a very. It took me ten years to actually to kind of get to that point of finding something which actually felt like me. And Mm -hmm. and once you do that, it's uh, for me. It was it was like a real power. um, Because for my whole life, I realized after I changed my name that when I met someone, and as an actor, you meet you know you you're meeting people often you know several times a day, new people. And whenever I mentioned my, my name, the first question would always be, oh, what a beautiful name. Where are you from? And then you'd right, go through right. this whole thing. Well, I'm, you know, what what you're really asking is Wh- what is my heritage? Right. Where um, are you from? from? Yeah. That yeah. line, right. Mm-hmm. And not that I have, you know, I, I'm fascinated by people's heritage and I love to know that. But in a professional um, environment, what happened was the the first five minutes of every meeting would be around the same topic right. and you'd bump into people's ideas and prejudices yeah but just the conversation was just around my name and my heritage which although is fascinating and you know i'm very proud of it is not really why i'm i'm, I'm meeting in this room you know we're here to talk about a part or uh you know and as soon as you get into that talk about it you're shifting people's minds you know, if you're if you're going to play John Smith from from Leeds, which is where I'm from, but if if people are suddenly spending twenty minutes talking about your, you know, cultural heritage, immediately their their mind's going that way, and it's also exhausting. You know, having you know, it gets it got to a point where I was just frustrated at you know having to like give an account of myself and my family's history. Before I had a, a cultural, a normal experience with someone, and it's it was amazing to change it and people, you know, from people going, "Oh, that's interesting," to "That's a great name." So let's talk about da 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 da. Right. And the, and then you just get into it, and and uh, you know, I, you know, I think it's. Uh, I mean, I'm very, very, very happy and excited to see that that whole name thing is not really as much of an issue anymore Um, right i mean i'm sure it still exists for people um and you know i i i I completely see both sides of the argument and you know so many but i think when i when i was going about this change i i went through everybody who's changed their name and you know so many people have you know Thomas Putter the Fourth is Tom Cruise, or you know. Oh, absolutely! Mike, I mean, Michael uh,
0: Michael Douglas is Michael Keaton.
3: Yeah, like so. Yeah, I mean, or and, Michael Keaton
0: more, was Michael Douglas, but there was already a Michael Douglas. Yeah. Yeah,
3: and you go. You know, there's there's lots of things, and you know, yeah. there's the personal. But for me, the personal side actually became, you know, I, I take. It actually it feels like me, and mm, you know, Good, know, yeah. it's it's a. Uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, in you know, I feel I feel very proud of, of the change and I don't feel apologetic about it. Um, yeah. But, you know, of course, I do feel it's hard for family and it's hard for friends to make that change when they've known you in a, in a certain way. But, you know, as an actor, you're constantly changing identities and, you know, playing with different names. And, you know, someone says today you're so and so. And that's you
0: know. right. Yeah. So just going back to the UK, uh, for a moment, I, you know, we, we had talked a little bit about on the phone about some of our favorite theaters in London in particular. Mm. And, you know, I I'm curious what were, you know, so when I was there in high school, I, the places that I discovered a lot were, or, and went to a lot were places like the Donmar warehouse, uh, which was absolutely fantastic and was just coming off of a run. I think it was being run by Sam Mendes at the time. And then may, perhaps Nicholas Heitner was taking over and i was also spending a lot of time at the national theater in the three stages there just going to different productions and um we even laughed because we thought we'd probably been in the audience for some of the same shows around the same time what was uh, who who pointed you in the direction of the theater the must see theaters in in london
3: well i think when we were at lambda we were taken to the globe of course and we saw mark Mm -hmm. rylance um and Ben Wishaw and my friend Samantha, who both were in the Hamlet, which was the thing which really brought. I me saw to that.
0: The yeah, I saw that production. Attention. So that was Mark Rylance doing Hamlet. I did see that, and Ben Wishaw was in that production. No, the
3: Ben, ben Wishaw's Hamlet was at the Old Vic. Um, okay.
0: Did you see? Did you, which which what did you get to see Mark Rylance do?
3: He. I, I saw him several times. I mean probably a bit later was Jerusalem, which was the time when I really, really locked into what a a magical performer he is. Mm -hmm. Um, He, I think he'd finished being the artistic director of the globe at that point, but he was, he, he did this. I mean, I think Jerusalem's now being um, remounted, but he did the original production and, and, you know, people were queuing overnight for that. And, uh, I, I think I saw it twice and it was it was a revelation to see to see him. I mean he came on stage and for the first I think about seven minutes was just running around doing handstands and you know, drinking <laughs> glasses of vodka with eggs in it upside down. And you know, <laughs> yeah, he was a yeah. an older person at this point and he's just his transformation was incredible for that.
0: Yeah, he was one of the oldest Hamlets I ever saw. I saw him do it and I saw Simon Russell Beale do it when they were probably both in their forties. And, but it worked. I mean, they was they, each of the – you know, Mark Ryland's very – everything's very you – know, sort of uh, almost like it's not fully there. You know, it's not sort of – you know, it's a very, like, shy. And then, of course, Simon Russell Beale, everything is much more sort of – yeah, told the, it's all, it was funny. Like, everything he's saying is like, hilarious and, you know, two it, it, very – but both very funny performances of Hamlet. Hamlet, I find, to be an extremely funny character, and I love when people – lock into the humor of it and i think even you know you go back to the kenneth branagh version and you see it in his understanding of the language you then go on to work at the royal shakespeare company you know historic and storied uh production house for shakespeare what was that what was that experience like for you
3: it was i mean it was one of the most joyful experiences of my life really um how was strat
0: by the way sorry to interrupt how was stratford upon avon in terms of hanging out (laughs) i mean
3: it was just a non-stop thrill really because there was i think there was you know there's three shows going on simultaneously wow so there was a big group of actors there big like three companies um our one was with this Icelandic company called Vesterport, and it was run by a guy called Gisli Orn Gadalsen, who is a fantastic director and actor um, in his own country. He's doing like, he's making shows and he's starring in shows, he's, he's phenomenal. And um, yeah, so, so we had this kind of lovely, you know, Northern Scandinavian, feel to our company but we had all all these other guys who are people from from england who who were doing doing the other shakespeare shows and you know we got the you know they have an incredible um educational uh aspect to the to your time there so you get not only are you rehearsing and understudying and ours was a very physical show so we were climbing ropes and hanging off you know beams 30 feet above the stage with no oh safety God. harnesses. Um, <laughs> but we also had this, you know, we, we had voice training and Alexander technique training from some of the most wonderful, you know, names in theater. So, you know, we had a 96-year-old teaching us voice and she was like one of the founders of, of modern voice training. And is it not Cicely Berry? It was Cicely Berry, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, okay. Of sure.
3: That is a book um, that I've read, yeah. And she... <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, the English training is, and I've had, I've had many folks on here who've been now, who folks have gone to the Central School, folks have gone to RADA. Actually, do you don't know um, a friend of mine, Mike Benz, do you? do you know Michael Benz? Went to RADA? I don't know. You might, if you recognize, you might recognize him. But anyway, we, we taught, he, he and I went to high school together, and then he went to Georgetown here in the States, then he went back and went to RADA. Um, but we were, I was talking with him about the English training and, you know, it, it's sort of not, it's similar, I think, to the Adler training in the sense that, you know, Stella Adler is not so preoccupied with the actor's feelings per se. So that's not a starting place for her. She goes to the text first. And I think the English sort of do that same thing with the Cicely Berry training. It seems to be a little bit about sort of actually the, 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 the language itself. You know, what is, the, what is the energy of a particular word? You know, and using that, whereas Stella Adler's technique is a little bit more, seemingly a little bit more about what is the character's behavior or what is the intention behind the the action or behavior. Uh, Whereas the English, it's very much like the energy of, you know, the word itself. If you were to say a, a word like poison, that there's energy in that word that would mean the word itself. Is that true? Am I getting the hang of this or am I completely off?
3: No, I think that's very true. Um, English training is very texturally based and, you know, some people do a lot of actions as well. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I still believe that's very true in terms of, of classical theatre. Um, and, you know, I think in on-camera stuff, which is what I've spent most of my, my time doing, you know, it, I've had to sort of unlearn some of the the focus on the text. Um, but it's- Well, it's, when
0: you, because when you talk about that truth, the truth finding that the camera does, it's not so concerned necessarily with uh, the actor having some kind of physiological reaction to a word. It's it's sort of, because it'll see behind any of those mechanics, right? Yeah,
3: it's, it's as much as what you're not saying as, as what you are saying. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think- it depends. On, it always depends on the, on the piece and the, the location and the genre. I mean, it's you know how you. I think that's something I'm just learning right now. Is is in terms of, of performance, you know, on screen, on camera. It's that style depends on whether you're playing a supporting character or you're playing a lead character, mm-hmm. and it yeah. depends on. Not it used to be like oh film versus TV, but now it's it's about the the nuances of that show. What, you know whether you know you, your delivery. You know, are you you know is there a Indiana Jones wink to the camera behind it, or mm-hmm. is it something else? I mean, all all these things. You know, I think one of the the lessons which I wish we had been taught is to to really understand that that difference early on, and, and perhaps it wasn't something which was as prominent then as it is now. But, you know, I feel you can do a great audition, but be completely off what the actual team is is looking for.
0: Yeah, there are things about certain shows, like tone, tone of a certain Mm, show. There's things like rhythm, you know, when it comes to certain right, if you're doing a Sorkin uh, piece or something, as opposed to a Shakespeare or or what have you. Yeah, I I heard John C. Riley said this once, and I like it a lot. He said, acting is a custom job
3: yeah it's very true
0: you know and i think you you hear this with writers too where it's like they sit down to write their second novel or something they have to relearn how to write you know and i think like that that's been my experience i think with acting it's just uh and i wish i'd had slightly more opportunity to do it although i have been doing it for a long time now but you know um but i think that you know there there are different genres there are different uh even when working on camera even within the same project it really is going to depend on whether it's a close up shot versus a
3: wide shot. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of just projection and volume, even, um, I was once taught by this chap on, the film I was doing in London, um, they got in a, a guy to kind of give some coaching to the whole cast. And he showed, a. I think it was, it was a Tom Cruise clip from Um, A Few Good Men and it kind of shows him doing a long walk in from one side of the room towards camera and it ends up in a close up but he's doing this big sort of like heartfelt speech but when you actually look at it he's actually shrinking the performance with every step he takes as he gets close to the camera because if he was doing it the same sort of level of Mm. intensity when he was in the wide it would be over the top by the time he gets close but he manages to combine the intent behind what he's saying and and then gradually consolidate it until he's he's right onto the camera and you know it's a very technical thing he's doing and you don't notice it when you're watching it unless you actually go and look at it and uh you know i think this i mean just shit so that's cool i gotta learn. i gotta go back
0: and rewatch that for that just for that scene that's a great example yeah well and of course then you got michael caine coming out with an acting book where you know
3: it's yeah, just it a, probably one of the first one we all read when we were starting out
0: <laughs> so i mean and i love that one and for anybody who doesn't know he he has he, he actually has a master class based on the book that he wrote which you can find on youtube the whole thing is on youtube and he's literally directing you know actors around the set and you know Now, if you look that, that camera, that, you know, and it's all this stuff about, it's all tricks. It's all camera tricks. It's things like, don't try not to blink. Yeah. <laughs> Which if you, you, sh- you hear it and you think like, that's bizarre. But then you look at a career like Ryan Gosling's and you go, holy shit, maybe that's maybe that's true because he doesn't seem to blame. Yeah, he, he read
3: the book. And he's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, look, I mean, you're, you're Ryan Gosling and you're coming up, with, uh, you're a Mouseketeer and it's like, you want to get into acting. If someone hands you the Michael Caine book. Uh, that would make a lot of sense in my mind. I don't know <laughs> if that happened or not. Um, so now since the pandemic began... Uh, You had also shared with me um, that you were, you'd been doing a little bit of thinking about acting as a profession and it it seemed to, you know, you that for a bit that we were going to be halting this profession, at least the ones that we were, well, I mean, theater seemed to be in deep trouble. Yeah. So I think that, you know, my question for you is, you did start to think a little bit in terms of exploring other projects that you were interested in working on. And one of them became a series of films, correct, called the antiviral film project.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean I'd I'd already started writing a few years ago and and starting to teach myself, I guess, and uh you know, became an avid follower of um the Craig Mason and John August oh, yeah. mm-hmm. podcast and writing, um, which is a great, I recommend it highly yes, to anyone who's, who's interested in writing. Um, and yeah, I, I basically, when I'd been in LA, when the writer's strike had happened and in the aftermath of that, um, a lot of actors who were higher up on the food chain had said to me that they were taking jobs, which they never would normally do even consider because they needed to pay their school fees and they, you know, their outgoings because they were movie stars or, you know, working actors were much, were, were, were needed servicing and it meant that parts which I would be up for were now being offered to to names and I was going up again for smaller parts but then people who had already done series regulars were taking those um, and it was, a, I remember it being a pretty rough year so when the pandemic happened, I sort of forecast right. that that was going to happen again. Um, I didn't know how long, of course, it was going to last. Um, but then, you know, and on the back of that as well, how can we how can we make stuff? How can we start to create in this time when the world has stopped? And uh, I had this idea of of trying to put together a, a series of feature films made from small stories and we'd shoot them remotely around the world in two or three days when you wouldn't when you'd be able to kind of if somewhere became was open still we would go and shoot five days in in, in that story and then we would be flexible that way and then when pandemic pandemic ended we'd be able to sew them all together to create one co- coherent piece of work um, so yeah we we reached out to everybody we knew who we'd worked with, me and my partner, Will Hawkes, um, he he loved the idea. So we decided to do this together and uh, we reached out to all our international networks. And I had a friend who was a casting director in London called Sam Jones, and she had a whole network of European casting directors. So we put a message out to them and they let us know about who was up and coming directors and writers or actors who were also, you know, trying to to create as well and we started building up these stories and we you know within about three or four weeks we had about 60 submissions and then you know we some somebody else found out about in turkey and put it on a call out on the news there and suddenly he got a hundred submissions from turkey in turkish so we started to work with him to narrow those down and you know we were doing it in Brazil and all over the place until we sort of had a core of, of 24 stories and we decided that this is going to be a series now of, of 24 stories which we will put together into our episodes so we'd have 8 hours of, of content um, and we were lucky to, to meet an incredible writer and, and director in Denmark and we decided that, that was going to be our first film so we flew to Copenhagen during the pandemic, and we we shot this this story, which became a beautiful film called *Carl and the Janitor*. And then, sort of six months later, we were we decided to put on a a fundraiser just when sort of the lockdown ended in about a year ago here in LA. And in two weeks, we organized this sort of. Beautiful evening event of music and and an auction of, of 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 amazing wildlife photography and um, yeah just organized this, this you know uh, essentially a fundraiser and we raised enough money to be able to fly out three days later to um, South Africa where we had set up this film
0: hmm. about
3: rhino conservation on a game reserve in the Eastern Cape. And uh, yeah, we we cast some phenomenal actors. Probably some of the finest actors I've ever worked with. And we've put together this half-hour story, which is in the final stages mm-hmm. of post at the moment. And um, that has been really uh, consuming my time over the last sort of couple of months. Is getting the. well it sounds like consuming
0: i mean maybe it sounds like years well it's been two and a half years now since we started
3: um and and, you know we're we're just about there having having two pieces of work which we really really proud of and and
0: and that's wonderful and a lot of logistics that must have gone into this because you're dealing with multiple countries in the midst of this pandemic
3: yeah i mean i mean initially through zoom it was it was A really beautiful thing to to be doing whilst everyone else was sort of stuck in their houses and feeling
0: so so then am i to understand so these are folks that are essentially they're submitting a final they're submitting work to you is that correct or you are going to all of these locations am i getting am i confused no what we're
3: doing is we're 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 speaking to speaking to people and gathering ideas and then we would spend a period of time developing those those ideas until we get a first draft and then we would work on them, on that draft with the writers until we had something which would fit you know we had a series of of kind of things that it needed to be to fit into the project so it had to be set on the backdrop of COVID but not be about COVID and it had to have a, a very strong human um, narrative to it and um, we really want music to be part of it so we, was, we were encouraging people to try and and have some sort of musical aspect in it in some way, um, because we basically the aim is to to find emerging voices um, and to help bring finance to those countries and the opportunity to make a you know a, a extremely well produced piece of work in in a place which necessarily have that that capability you know the, the money to do that. Um, whilst giving a, a platform for, for people who have amazing stories to tell. And, mm. you know, you know, they're very, all our stories are very distinct and, uh, you know, they're, they're just things which I, I really want to watch. You know, they there's, it's covering a real spectrum of, of, of really, I mean, what we kind of were saying that although we're six feet apart, we're we're less than six degrees connected, you know, like mm. the Kevin Bacon thing that now with the internet, we can really be... And, we're, and for the first time in, in living history, the whole world was facing the same challenge. And we we're That's all right. sort of looking at the same direction. And of course, you know, yeah. as time's gone by, obviously there's been a huge change, but this whole project in a way reflects this period in, in history. But without talking to it directly it's 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 these stories and they all you know we we have easter eggs in each one and they all sort of interlink and they all in each story will be like a like a cinematic journey around the world so we will you know two birds will fly off the set of one film and then they'll land in the gambia and we'll be with you know Hmm. these two boys there and then you know you know, we have a, a horse in Romania, which ends this, the Romanian story, and it goes behind a bush and as it comes out the other side, it's a rhino and suddenly we're in South Africa.
0: So you, so then you are, so you're meeting these folks and you, what you were saying then, if I'm getting this right, you were meeting these folks originally via Zoom, but then you are, you're flying out to these locations throughout the pandemic, you're, you've got these multiple restrictions on wh- what can you do? Did anybody, did you get sick?
3: Well, the well, we we've done two so far. So uh, our aim to do twenty four is, is still there, but we we're still raising finance to be able to do that. Um, but when we we did go to South Africa, it was, it was pretty challenging. We'd been vaccinated, um, but my partner's wife, who came with us, had had the Johnson and Johnson, and we arrived in in the on the reserve with half the crew. The other crew was, was driving over from Cape Town and we went down to get our COVID test. We felt fine, but she sort of had the sniffles from from the, from the airline, from being on the plane. Um, and she'd been vexed. so we, we assumed she was fine. But when, once we got down there and got tested, she came out positive. So suddenly we were in a situation that we were about to start shooting the next morning. And we'd now had a COVID case And we'd been sharing, you know, a hotel, uh, a guest house with her. So the next day we had to, and there was no COVID tests available in that part of the world. So we had to fly in a nurse from Johannesburg the next morning at 6am with a bunch of tests, you know, all costs, Mm. which were for a small production like ours were a huge, huge challenge. Yeah. Um, And we, that day we had to stop the other crew at the gate and say you can't come in until tomorrow so we had to then go and find other places for them to stay that night um and we were gonna we were, you know we we're obviously losing shooting time the next morning um so the next day this nurse arrived about 8 a.m and one by one those of us on the on the in the in the camp had to go and get tested and we we just knew that if we had one person that was was positive the whole project would have would have just tumbled so we kind of had this kind of nerve-wracking hour and a half where one by one each person went in got tested and thankfully uh, we were all okay wow um yeah. and we were able to get out on set that afternoon and you know but it did you know it did then obviously have knock-on effects for the rest of the shoot because um, we were playing catch-up the whole time on an already super challenging schedule
0: well, it sounds like between something like this project or you motorcycling around India with a pallet, it seems like adventure is sort of in your in your veins a bit, I suppose, I, or or st- or stunt work or, or hanging so. from a harness thirty feet above a stage. Well,
3: <laughs> well, that's kind of the joke I always say to my mum that when I was when I was five years old, I I had a painting of of a guy on a, hanging out of a helicopter on a rope with a stethoscope around his neck over a jungle, and you know. They always thought I was going to be a doctor, but I think it was probably the dangling from the rope, which was equally. <laughs> it was that part <laughs> that you were really entranced yeah. by.
0: That's really funny. So this is a wonderful sounding project. So when? The, so you know, you said you've gotten two of them completed, and you, you're still having in mind this twenty-four. So that so this is multiple more years you think in, that are going to go into this particular project, or are you looking to sort of um, have something to show sooner? than
3: that. Yeah, I mean the first film is available to be seen. Um okay. the second one we are submitting to to the festivals and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to show it to to some distributors and to really to probably some of the streamers and see if somebody wants to jump on board and, and finance the whole thing. I mean, essentially we can make, you know, eight hours of television for the price of one episode of, of T V but to an equal level we hope um yeah and it's just right. and it's a you know i think it's a beautiful project and these stories yeah. really deserve to be told and you know so far the feedback we've had from them has been really 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 positive and the, that's very exciting yeah where is there so and where do people go to just
0: find out a little bit more information about this particular project at the moment is there any place that someone could go yeah you can go a to look? our website
3: which is uh six hyphen feet hyphen films.com um our first film is a is you can watch it actually online for a, a small donation which goes 50 to charity to doctors without borders and 50 of it pays towards the next film um and it's i think we are it's, it's a minute it's a couple of dollars you know minimum donation um right we'll put that we'll put it in our um when we go to
0: post this episode, we'll make sure to put it in the copy so that people can go there.
3: Great. That'd be wonderful. And yeah, and, and our, our rhino film, we still, you know, in the final stages of post, but once that's done, um, we will be trying to spread that far and wide and in the same way. And, um, you know, half of all of the money that that goes from that film will go directly to help um, in rhino protection and conservation. And the other half will go towards... next film which we think
0: will be in chile wow that's exciting and so and at the moment you're here in In los angeles in los angeles yeah and for a person of adventure there's a whole i I remember my my dad is my dad still spends a lot of the time in the uk and he told me once he we were talking on the phone he was just saying you know claudia he said there's a whole world out there yeah (laughs) yeah yeah do you feel that way these days about la are you feeling a little a a person of such adventure as yourself or do do you ever get bored and all these days of lockdown in Los Angeles.
3: I haven't because I I feel like I have been. I mean, I have been fortunate enough to travel quite a bit through the project. Um, sure. And you know, hopefully, we'll be back on in the air very soon. Um, but you know, it's, it's it's so much goes into you know what what we're trying to do because we are doing it ourselves. It's an incredible amount of work and logistics, as you mentioned. So we haven't been bored. We're just a bit exhausted.
0: (laughs) Okay. So a little downtime might be nice. Yeah. But,
3: uh, you know, we're just, uh, we're just hoping that, um, once this, I mean, we, we, secretly, you know, fingers are crossed and we, we, we're confident when people see this film that they will, they will be moved. And, you know, hopefully people will respond to it, you know, and, um, it could be, you know, it, it could be a situation that very quickly, somebody decides to help produce the whole thing. And then, then we won't sleep for two years, probably.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Are you liking Los Angeles otherwise as a home base for the moment? I am. I
3: mean, it's, it's, I love the outdoors and I, I rock climb and it's, it's, you know, you rock
0: climb. Oh, of course you do. So is this, are we talking about scaling or spelunking or what, what kind of rock climbing are you doing? Are you heading to Joshua tree or is this someplace nearby?
3: Um, there's, there's, there's close places in Joshua Tree where we go to Malibu and to, um, it's called Texas Canyon and there's, there's a couple of spots outside and I also have boulder in Hollywood itself, which is... <laughs> what does,
0: what does boulder mean? Does that mean to jump from boulder to boulder? Well, boulder means you don't have
3: any ropes and you, yeah. you don't go too yes. high, but you, you know, yeah. you fall Could in. still,
0: could still break your bones, yeah. of course. <laughs>
3: which I, I sort of seem on the verge of doing every week, but, uh.
0: well that's where we can find you in the real world how about for online is there are there where where can people find you online
3: um on instagram at at darwinius
0: okay great well darwin this has been great um thanks so much for making the time to chat with me it's been a great pleasure you you, you've been very generous in sharing your insights and uh i am very grateful to john for putting us in touch it's nice to meet you Uh, i want to wish you continued success safety and and good health thank you so much if you listened all the way to the end of this episode thank you if you listened all the way to the end of this season you are a rock star if you listen to all 32 episodes of things are going great for me including our bonus episode on acting technique i would like to thank you over a zoom call <laughs> to collect on that just send me an email at things great for me at gmail.com in the next week Just a heads up, there will be a short quiz for verification. Since you stuck around with us, why not go ahead and give us a subscribe or perhaps a sweet, sweet five-star rating, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality conversation in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our swag for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle at... Things are going great for me. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editors are Sierra Hauser and Leon Simone. I'd like to thank my wife, Catherine. I'd like to say another thanks to Chris Frontero and Winston Carter, and also to Erica Curry. Thank you to Matthew Carlin for designing our website, Nick DiGitano and Sella Shaloni for photography, and to Ryan Harvey Percy for handling our Twitter account in the past years. Thanks to Sierra Hauser for our art design and Leon Simone for taking over with our animations. Thanks to Jeremy Rhodes for shooting and editing our video teaser, and to Robert Grigsby Wilson for support. Thanks to Icelandic Glacial for their hugely helpful support. Big thanks to my brother and. fellow Ghostbuster John Fletcher for booking me four guests this season and to Peter Basilevsky, who does all our contracts. A special thank you to our Patreon and our anchor subscribers. We can't do this program without you. Thanks to Chris and Jane Deering and thanks again to all my guests this season. See you next time.